Recording in progress. Actually, sufficiently covered 
uh, the papers of today because this is like as a joint uh, meeting. The, the, that our approach to service delivery cannot continue with the same approach um, that has not delivered tangible results in the past. The electoral mandate 
template of the sixth administration requires that we inculcate a culture of accelerated service delivery by moving at a brisker pace in delivering services. Necessary condition towards delivering tangible outcomes that citizens can see, feel, and experience. In 2019, we identified ministerial priorities that coexist alongside the sustained agenda. Over the last two years, we have put in place building. We are now poised to give this agenda traction and ensure tangible groundbreaking progress is achieved. The realization of the 25% against the 2019 baseline requires a paradigm shift and creative solutions that move the needle. Road safety campaigns and communication are an important element of our intervention. In arresting the carnage on our roads. This range from engineering solutions that Sandal will deliver to coordinate and municipal traffic and metropolis and the adjudication by messaging will morph into a more effective instrument that is able to sustain itself through the year rather than on holiday peaks. The road accident in creating a safety net for those whose lives are irreversibly impacted on by crashes on was the final year of the 2015 2020 strategic plan. This period of financial sustainability challenges, which was as a result of a flawed operating model. The operating model neglected the expeditious investment mandate of the fund and focused on using litigation to manage its short-term liquidity challenges. This was enabled through the implementation. The new operating model has sought to change this by focusing on settlement of claims with 120 days and improving operational and financial sustainability of the fund. A number of significant strides first two years of the 2020-2025 RAF strategic plan. This includes finalization and approval of the new operating model. In terms of this model, focusing on optimizing claims administration by improving investigation and settlement of claims. This will aims and avoid unnecessary litigation. The RAF medical tariffs have been developed and published for comment. The board has reviewed and approved with the new strategy.
the 365-day action agenda will be given impetus and will come alive and serve as a platform to ignite the imagine we have refined our targets such that they enable us to achieve tangible outcomes. This is from ensuring that all provinces finalize the classification of traffic seven-day job to achieving a 14-day turnaround time for the issue of driver's license cars. Addressing the challenges relating to drivers proving the courage of service were under to motorists. The rationalization of road traffic entities premised on a sound base combating corruption and strengthening law enforcement will receive attention. In the same regard, with a new card that meets international standards will get underway once cabinet procurement of new equipment as we decommission the current machine that has been in operation since 1998. Rolling out a new service delivery model for driving license testing centers will gain momentum through a collaborative effort by all three spheres of government. The state of repair of the provincial and municipal road networks remains a source of serious concern. The devastation and damage to road infrastructure brought about by recent floods has shown the spotlight on the urgent need to find a more sustainable way of funding the secondary and tertiary road networks. While the provincial road maintenance grant augments the funding provided by provinces through their equitable share allocation, this remains a far cry as the current backlog. Through the Siamba Songke program, we have identified creative ways to support provinces and tackle rural roads using alternative technologies such as block paving. This year, we will, establish, we will be establishing a project management unit that will provide support to provinces to tackle the road construction and maintenance uh, backlog and serve as a repository of project management expertise. Through this unit, we will ensure that funding is utilized for its intended purpose and that projects are delivered on time at an at reasonable cost. The quality of public transport services has an immediate impact on the citizens as it touches the daily lives of millions of South Africans who rely on it for their livelihood. Giving effect to the white paper vision of an efficient, affordable, safe, and reliable public transport system can only be realized through systematic interventions that deliver tangible outcomes incrementally. We remain on course to implement the resolutions of the 2020 National Textile Hotel. We will therefore ensure that the implementation of key interventions agreed with the industry will find prominence in our 2022-2023 annual performance plan. Igniting the taxi economy as a critical pillar of the sector's contribution to economic reconstruction and recovery will be tackled at the brisker pace. This is a critical driver of our economic interventions that will accelerate, accelerate the formalization of the industry.
We are committed to reimagine the tax recapitalization program and position it as an enabler of economic participation and unlocking the taxi economy. Our strategic uh, uh, plan emphasizes the implementation of the integrated public transport networks that enable a seamless movement of public transport users across modes. The user experience will be enhanced by the rollout of a cashless fare system and integrated ticketing. In 2020-2021, the cities of Umsunduzi, Mbombel and Buffalo were suspended from the grant due to years of slow implementation and lack of uh, technical capacity. It is in the interest of citizens in these cities that we work tirelessly to get these cities back onto the program. We'll mobilize technical capacities to address the challenges that led them to being removed from the IPTN grant and assist them in meeting the conditions imposed by the National Treasury for their readmission. In order to obviate a recurrence of this situation, we have tightened our monitoring of the use of conditional grants by provinces and municipalities, just such that we are able to directly intervene when a city or a province fails to implement an executive obligation. The infrastructure built program remains critical to economic recovery and growing the transport sector's contribution to the GDP. Tangible progress in this program will be given impetus by the public transport funding model, which also takes due regard of the infrastructure requirements to enable mobility across all modes. A key tenant of the funding model is a new subsidy policy that acknowledges the role of taxi industry in the public transport system. We remain on course with the task of returning to service the 10th priority commuter rail corridors, which we committed to restore by the end of this calendar year. In building technical capacity for entities such as Prasa to tackle its capital program more efficiently, we have committed to creating a platform that will enable our entities to share technical and engineering capabilities and expertise. Transport is one of the main contributors to greenhouse gases and is expected to play a key role in advancing interventions that not only seek to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but to also protect the environment. The movement of bulk freight on the road not only increase emissions, but also damage the road's infrastructure and significantly reduce their economic um, life. While the volume of cargo by rail has declined in the last year, we will work with the industry to find uh, creative solutions that will enable us to effect, to effect a meaningful migration of significant volumes of cargo from road to rail. The revised strategic plan and annual performance plan for 2022-2023 of the department have been aligned to the National Development Plan, the medium-term strategic framework, and the performance agreement I signed with the President. This alignment was achieved through creation of a line of sight between the Department, our SOEs, and uh, provinces in terms of delivery of outcomes. 
outputs and targets. To that effect, consolidated indicators with which the department tracks selected performance of SOEs and provinces are included in the plans and will be reported on every quarter. In conclusion, I am confident that the implementation of the revised strategic plan 2022-23 APP will serve to entrench the transformation journey of the sector. In relation to the RAF, I have no doubt that the biggest beneficiary of transformation of RAF will be the thousands of claimants who fall victim to motor vehicle accidents on our roads. With your permission, Chairperson, the Acting Director General will lead the presentation on the revised Strat Plan 2020-2025 and the Annual Performance Plan for 2022-2023. I thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Honorable Minister, for, for the uh, uh, overview in terms of uh, changes that uh, that took place uh, since we last met. Uh, uh, but we are with regard to to uh, <clears throat> uh, the, the issue around. Uh, uh, destruction of an infrastructure, movement of cargo from road to raid, uh, the road accident fund, progress rate around that. Uh, we, 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 at least we get a sense in terms of uh, where, where we are going. Uh, without any waste of time, let me then hand over to the acting DG. Uh, it, it was brought my attention, uh, but uh, I need your hands, acting DG, in terms of. Uh, a sequence of, of presentation over to you. Good morning, Chair of Coaches, uh, Honorable Minister, and Honorable Deputy Minister, esteemed members of the Select uh, Committee as well as the Portfolio Committee. The initial statement that you made that uh, Ralph uh, will present first, and then the department will come after uh, Ralph has presented. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, thank you, Dindiji. Uh, uh, over to 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 Ralph. Uh, if we have the board chair, and the the board chair uh, uh, let lead the discussion. Uh, Honorable uh, chairpersons and uh, honorable members, I will just introduce our delegation and then I will hand over to the CEO to present. My name is Tendin Sibi and the chair of the board. Uh, together with me is Dr. Mabuya, um, who is a deputy chair, and we have the CEO, Mr. Lizuario, uh, together with the CFO, Ms. Porchita, and uh, Mr. Lahwaremi. The acting chief strategy and Ms. Manyasa, the acting uh, chief relationship and stakeholder officer. I will then hand over to the um, CEO to take us through the presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Over to CEO. Do we have the CEO online? Yes, uh, Chair, uh, my apologies. 
technology seems to be failing this morning. I hope that uh, we'll be able to complete this presentation without any glitches, however. Uh, my name is Colin Slipper. I'm the CEO of Rotra, sorry, Rotra um, Fund. Um, thanks, Minister. Thanks to Chair and Members. Mine is to present the 2020-2023 strategic plan or APP of the road accident fund. I think the first issue is to just paint a picture about what the road accident fund is and what were the challenges. And of course, give you a sense of where we are and then we'll then go over to the uh, presentation. I'll do the presentation on the APP and uh, our uh, CFO, uh, I think, Patu, uh, can you just uh, give us the slides, Ompo? As they are going through that, I think the most important aspect is to really look at uh, the Road Accident Fund as we found it in 2019. It was an organization planted by mainly two big things. One is the uh, ever increasing actual liability of about 300 billion. Then, of course, we had um, a, a what we call the RMIP, which is requested but not yet paid, which is a short-term debt of about 90.7 billion that we had um, over the period. And um, it has been increasing exponentially. The challenge that we had was set by 
compensation as expected in Section 3 of our Act uh, to claimants. 10.6 billion of the 17 billion went to lawyers in terms of legal costs. And of course, there were big amounts, uh, like 108 million of that in every year as part of the 17 billion was going to uh, actuarial uh, services, which just merely calculated our loss of support and loss of earnings. And of course, we had about 200 million a year on assessor costs. So these are people that would go and find out whether the accident has happened. No investigations were being done. One of the biggest issues that we had was that in terms of Section 22 as well, there was there's an expectation that once an accident happens, then um, the driver or the owner of the motor vehicle was supposed to report within 14 days to rough on that, to say, I have had an accident in my car. This where the people involved either injured or killed as a result. And that was supposed to come to us. I must ask them to add chair that nothing uh, really came forward uh, regarding that section. So there was no adherence to that. Consequently, we faced issues around corruption simply because a person could actually sleep and fall in their kitchen and they would claim from rough simply because there was nothing. There's no nexus between whether that was as a result of an accident or not. And that was supposed to come from the drivers. And um, um, and the the owners. So, chair, we had that as an issue, and the simple matching orders from the minister were that uh, go and make sure that you reduce that liability, investigate that liability, find out what's going on in that liability, uh, investigate the liability, but also in the process, just make sure that. Uh, uh, you you deal with the issue of the short-term liability. We were faced with a thing called day zero, meaning the day on which our attachments were going to be equivalent to the money we get from uh, the fuel lady, which was 3.6 billion. At the time we, we, we started this process, we had this amount at 1.7 billion, and that for us was a concern that we had to also deal with. Um, a couple of things that emerged out of that was that we then formulated the strategic plan that we would see how we deal with it. So the long and short of it, Chair, I will take this presentation as a rat, uh, but I will just touch on the silent points of it. Uh, we just want to give you a socioeconomic impact of RAF. We dispense, in the past financial year, we dispensed about 48 billion out there, which we collected over the period. And uh, 10.5 billion we spend on what is called general damages. And of course, we spend about 446 million on medical expenses um, uh, over that period. But you, what you can see is that we have paid about 34.2 billion uh, in, in terms of this personal claims uh, that people are claiming. So the long and short of it is that the rough contribution to the socioeconomic impact of South Africa runs about 48 billion a year which is something that we are, we, we are managing. But uh, simply, Chair, there, was also, there is also no nexus between the uh, levy that one pays and the amount of cover that we provide for that person should he uh, be involved in an accident that would lead to an injury where people are injured. As a consequence of that, we always had monies that 
um, we were paying out more than what we are receiving. Of course, there are issues of efficiencies, as I said. Uh, the claimant uh, gets only about uh, 40% of that amount. If you also deduct out of the 60%, the 25% that they usually pay to the lawyers in terms of Section 19C of the Act. Next slide. Yeah, it's just a vision and mission. We had to change this. Uh, we changed it to be an equitable and sustainable compensation system for motor vehicle accident. Equitable in a sense that whether you approach us, and, uh, where you come from, it should be the same. If the accident that happened, you should receive an equitable treatment and responsible amount, regardless of where you come from and the background. But the other issue around equitability was also which law firm you were coming from, because in most instances, the big law firms were the ones that were actually making more money for their uh, claimants, in a sense that they were also treated, that they were paid first more than anyone else in the system of payment, which we found to be inequitable. And of course, sustainable in a sense that we should continue to pay what you require. You must not overpay. You must not underpay you, depending on circumstances. And that this, has, that this sustainable issue was also the issue around the liquidity and being able to match that. Here, we have a problem of asset and liability mismatch in a sense that we receive our money on an annuity basis, which is each and every month from the fuel levy. However, we pay monies out in uh, lump sums, which may well cover a situation where someone gets injured at 40 and we pay them the lump sum that will cover them from the age of 40 until retirement age of 65 which to us remained a problem, and it's something that we must deal with. This chair also is perpetuated by uh, uh, provisions of the Act in terms of Section 17.4b, which says that we are allowed to pay in installment, but it then says as agreed upon. Uh, the lawyers never agree with us to actually be paid in installments, and we know uh, from the background that we have that most of these people will actually get paid the money, but they would actually spend this money within two years of receiving it, coming back to the social net after that, and then claiming money from SASA and other institutions of the state. So we want to make sure that that uh, sustainable compensation system for motor vehicles becomes the vision of what we want to see. Then our mission is to provide appropriate benefits. We are saying appropriate benefits, Chair, because we still believe very strongly that general damages uh, is not appropriate for the circumstances. If you have been paid loss of support or loss of um, earnings, or you have been reinvest your medical costs, we don't understand why there's still a thing called general damages that was supposed to have been dealt with in 2008, but it looks like that part of the amendments does not help much if you look at the amount of money that we are still paying in terms of general damages. It is an area where uh, most of the time, we, we we struggle to settle because it's not very clear what we are paying for in that regard. So uh, for qualifying road users, meaning people that got injured on roads and not people that would have been assaulted and all that from the corruption that we get that we see in the space. But the most important aspect that the ministers also referred to is the support of safe use of our roads. We think that we need to get more involved in that area of safe road user to ensure that our people are safe so they don't have to claim from the scheme. Now, um, we buttress this on the basis of what we call our core values. Um, we 
know that we are the most defrauded system in the whole of South Africa, if not one of the most defrauded systems in the whole of the world. Um, we then say integrity needs to be something that we pride ourselves with because for people to defraud us most of the time, they work with ourselves within or some of us within the road accident fund. So integrity is one of the main key pillars of our core values that we want to espouse as we, in, we, as we move with this vision and mission. Compassion, we must treat our people with compassion. The people that come to us is because they want help. And as a, as a consequence, we must make sure that we express that compassion. Accountability, we must continue to be accountable in what we do and treat all people with respect. And of course, in the process, make sure that we do the all this with excellence. And you see, Chair, as we go and, 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 and present uh, what we have done so far. Next slide. I want to try to move quickly, Chair, because some of this I have already alluded to. Uh, and I'll take the presentation as right. Next slide. Uh, yeah, just, Chair, we are just indicating what we were dealing with and a runaway uh, liability. If you look at 2008, nine, we're sitting below 50 billion of the actual liability. And of course, over this period, you'd see that chair, it, it, it increased to above 300 billion when we got this. And uh, for us and the minister, that was a worrisome thing that there's exponential growth as you see it. And you'd see that this projection was actually going to increase. We'll show you what we are seeing in the other outlying years. Uh, but you would see that this amount has been growing over a period from 42.5 billion to about 315.8 billion in 1920. And this is the situation that we found. And the viewers that there must be something that is done out of this. Otherwise, this will actually collapse the whole fiscals of South Africa because we tended to be known as the biggest liability after ESCO. And for, for, for the department and South Africa, it was not going to be and it was a lying giant that was going to collapse us at some point, so something was supposed to be done. The next slide. EHA is just also a point that which you would see that uh, there is a thing called requested but not yet paid amount, meaning there we do not have the money. You have settled a claim, but RAP does not have the money. And you'd see that the projected amount was going to grow to about 23 billion in the 2020 financial year, as you look at it. And you'd see that the RNYP amount has been lowering there, but the viewers that projected over time, it was going to grow. And that's why, ultimately, it was something that we needed to do something about. And this is the part chair where people would come and attach our, our chairs, they would come and attach our bank accounts as we were working towards. And this number of attachments was growing. The next slide. This you would see, Chair, that also the administrative cost effect was that as we were doing all this, administrative costs were growing exponentially. And most of this administrative cost, as I said, it was driven mostly by legal costs. We were just kicking for touch, Chair. When we received a claim, we never really looked at it at the road accident fund. We would actually wait for a time when someone's are issued. Is then that we would actually then take this thing to our uh, attorneys who will then uh, defend this matter that could have easily been settled in terms of the law as provided for in, in, in section 24. But what we would have done is that we would wait for actually the day on which the court would actually sit and on that day is then that day 
that uh, you then get an offer from us saying we are settling this claim. Of course, this came with a 10.6 billion legal cost bill that we had to pay out of the 43 billion each year, which made this thing unsustainable. Next slide. The administrative cost effect here, I've already talked about the outsourcing. We then had actuarial studies that were outsourced. Looking at each chair, we had about 18,000 calculations that were done, either for loss of support or loss of earnings. And uh, we were paying 181 million for that every year. That would tell you that it was costing us about 10,000 10, per calculation, which was quite upset. And that's something that we had to deal with. The other aspect was that uh, there was no investigation that was done on these claims. In most instances, the assessors were used by the, our merit assessors to actually go and collect more information because most of the, at least chair, 90% of all claims that come to RAF do not have the minimum requirements for us to be able to make an offer at all. And we'll show you what we have done in that regard. And of course, uh, RAF was paying much more for medical costs uh, uh, as it were. Out of that 30, 300 billion that you had, would see that 17 billion of that was going to go to medical costs and at about five times the cost of what a medical aid you pay for each and every procedure as a consequence of a constitutional court decision in 2013 that came and said that we must uh, have our own medical tariffs if you wanted to do that and with pre-authorization we can't say to a person once you have already uh, incurred this cost, we are not going to be able to pay you because you have overpaid. That was the first part. But also, we are being hit with all these things. It, it then impacted on the planning because every time you just receive an invoice saying this is the amount and you don't know about that invoice because there was no pre-authorization as other medical uh, service uh, funders would do. And that's what we are trying to do to effect uh, changes within RAF in terms of the new body. Next slide. Then, of course, here we just are showing you the increase in the average claim settlement amounts uh, that are there. Uh, what we are just trying to show is that the settlement amounts were growing from 2007 in terms of the loss of earnings to 2019. Uh, you'd see that this thing has been growing exponentially. And of course, I mean, uh, there would have been a, a, a decrease uh, uh, to about. Uh, 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 just over a billion there simply because of the of what we call the effect of COVID. Where because we are running a manual system, a lot of things have not been brought through and you'd see it in the numbers of each and every uh, institution we had that going forward. But the trend has been going up and that trend is back to where it was. But except that we are now starting to see average amounts coming down as we start to investigate these claims going forward. Next slide. Here is the increase in the average claim settlement amounts. And you'd see that uh, um, in 2007, we paid out on average about 32,000. But it has increased exponentially to about 200 and uh, in, 20, in, in, in 2019 to about 276. And of course, this you'd see uh, it is growing over a period. And I think that it also increased to about, uh, I think, 292 as we speak. Simply because now we are having people that um, are claiming, but here it also increased by the fact that public transport passengers were only allowed to claim about only up to 25,000 because there is a thing called um, uh, public passenger liability insurance that is issued by the private sector. 
to taxis and buses. And I must ask them to add chair that. At this point, uh, we have reported this matter to the um, uh, Financial Service Conduct Authority that these private sector entities are still actually uh, covering these public passengers, but they have never paid a cent since 2008 out of that money, but they are actually collecting premiums while uh, RAF is paid. So it's something that we have reported. We are waiting for the report of the FSCA about whether that is actually ethical for them to collect that money while RAF continues to pay. Next slide. Then there is an issue around day zero chair where I was saying the issue is about the 3.6 billion that we're receiving each and every month, that the attachments were gonna be actually equivalent to that, meaning that we don't have any money to run the road accident fund. We wouldn't have to money to pay anyone else. The money would have just been attached by lawyers. And over a period of time, we have effectively reduced that to zero. If you look at that line, uh, that red line was showing you the number of attachments and how they used to happen. And we are comfortable that those bank attachments are no longer happening anymore. And that we have averted day zero. And we are also reporting that for the first time in the history, we have actually reduced our uh, RNYP to be below 10 billion. And we think that over a period we'll see it when the uh, CFO would present that we are anticipating that we'll reach an amount of about 3 billion, if not zero, in 2025. Next slide. Uh, this also led to duplicate payments. So what lawyers would do, they would simply attach their bank account, pay themselves, and then also because they were on our payment, which is manual, we will pay them not knowing what they were attaching for. And they would get what is called duplicate payments. And in the process of those duplicate payments, they'll just simply go and use those duplicate payments for a purpose for which they were not received instead of paying them back, knowing that they had attached their monies. We then had to report 102 law firms over uh, duplicate payments. And we have chair, collected more than half a billion worth of those duplicate payments from these law firms. And we have reported them to the Legal Practice Council. We must say, Chair, that uh, the Legal Practice Council we are seeing difficulties in actually ensuring that they act on these uh, unscrupulous uh, lawyers that do this to the fund. And we continue to go back to reconcile. And there's still some other people that owe us. Of course, others have already paid us back this money, but there are still some couple of law firms that still owe us this money uh, as we proceed. So it's something that we are also waiting on to make sure that they actually pay back this money that they have taken from the fund. Next slide. This is just an equitable payment strategy that we found. At that point, we had things called allocated payments. As we said, most of them were big law firms that would get monies. Not that it has changed in any event, but uh, the, the figures have now reduced because now we are paying the oldest claim first. They are not depending on which law firm it comes from. And you'd see the, uh, the top 20 law firms that were paid, either for capital or for cost. This would be released each and every quarter just to show South Africans what we are paying out as the road accident. Of course, our payment strategy was no, is no longer based on fixed allocations and it's no longer skewed to that uh, big law firms uh, because those big law firms um, uh, themselves had apportioned the money to themselves. And I think it was because they were able to attach our bank accounts. We also applied to the court to get a 45-8 suspension of all those so that everyone queues and then the queue 
is there. And that helps us to also certify our liability to make sure that we pay the oldest debt first. Next slide. The insufficient information, as, as you said, Chair, we had insufficient information. If you look at this on the uh, audit that we did on our backlog, for instance, you would see that uh, in all regions, especially in, uh, in, in the biggest region in, in, in Main Lane as well, you would see that of all the claims that we looked at, about 94,000 of them uh, or 106,000 of them uh, that we have already audited so far in the backlog, only 8.8 uh, have got uh, all documents that we require to actually make uh, uh, an offer. But 89.26% is missing information. And the other one, one about 1.92% just doesn't have any information at all. The person will just put in a, a, a form with no supporting information. This, I must say, is against Section 24.4 of our Act that says that um, you should uh, submit a claim with all these particulars. And if it's not submitted with all these particulars, then um, uh, this uh, claim is, is not a claim in terms of this act. But we have not been uh, actively dealing with that. We have not actively dealt with that. But the other part was also Section 22, Chair, where, as I said, within 14 days, a driver or an owner of a motor vehicle must make sure that they see what is called a RAV4, a RAV3 form. That in, in, just says, informs Ralph that there's an accident, and in that accident, there are this many people that are injured, there are this many people that have died, and as a consequence, expect that there may be a claim. So it's something that uh, has not been done, and it's something that we are making sure that it needs to be done so that we avoid the issue of corruption as well. Next slide. Here is the direct claim strategy that we embarked upon. And this direct claim strategy chair was going against section 19C and making it difficult in terms of section 24.6 for people to actually bring claims. And much more of this chair as well were claims that did not have information. So we collected a lot of claims that did not have enough information ourselves as there are. And that's why our the direct claim strategy had to change to give effect to what the law says and making sure that uh, we give the claimant um, the, 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 the amounts that they, they, they deserve under the circumstances, but also that the claimant claims, knowing very well that he must be advised properly and all that, and that the rough system as it sits does not actually support this direct claims effort that we're doing. And we have got a lot of claims that are sitting in a system, consequently, that are dormant. We are trying to get those people we can't get to them. And in the main, it's because the information is missing for us to even make an offer on those direct claims. Next slide. Um, there's an issue around the tax refund that we are uh, uh, engaging South African Revenue Services on. In terms of the um, Section 16, 1A of the RAF Act, we are exempt from taxation, any form of taxation, and we have actually been talking to the uh, SARS about the 12.6 billion. Uh, that uh, historically uh, was due to us because we, we are saying that that provision of the RAF Act must come into action uh, uh, and it says we shall be refunded all taxation that we have been paid. So that's one aspect that we engage in the SARS on as well. Next slide. There are other challenges, of course, where are issues around stability, instability where 
Rafa had operated with an interim board for a very long time and an acting chief executive officer and uh, executives for a very long time. And we had an unsustainable model, as we say, that there's no nexus between the revenue and the benefits that we offer. Consequently, and of course, the asset liability mismatch that led to liquidity problems that we were facing uh, at the time. And uh, of course, we operate a very manually based uh, model that works on physical documents. And of course, you see it even with the advent of um, of uh, COVID that uh, we suffer the most and most entities would suffer simply because uh, even Section 24, which chair, in our view, was supposed to have been a regulation instead of it being hard-coded in the legislation because it talks about procedures. Uh, it means that if we are to change a procedure, we must actually come back to Parliament, which is creating an issue for us as we are trying to navigate the space. It's something that we think that uh, Parliament should help us uh, to ensure that those amendments come through so that we see the benefits of this new model properly. Next slide. Uh, I'm just going to go through, Chair, the strategic initiatives. I've already touched on them a bit of what we have done so far. As I said, reduction of legal cost, review of the operating model, introduction of integrated claims management system, uh, issue regulation, enhancing claims, management process, and of course, the review of the current legislation. These are the matching orders that we receive for the Department of Transport uh, through the ministers, the executive authority. Next slide. Of course, the, these key initiatives uh, and achievements over the last two years. So we had this uh, process of engaging with all this, um, the litigation strategy, we changed it, we abandoned the panel of attorneys, it was a big thing in the market. We have changed this litigation to be more claimant centric and uh, move from, to claims administration rather than actually use the courts as a way of delaying payments. So it's something that we have. We are proud of that we have insourced this. We're working together with the Department of Justice, with the State Attorney's Office to make sure that we manage rough litigation. It has its own ticking problems, but so far we are seeing the results of this model. Next one is we also moved away from the model of outsourcing the actuarial uh, function. Uh, of course, it used to cost us 181 million in a year. Uh, we have insourced it and that has created a few of jobs there, but also 51 million uh, per annum, uh, saving us around 130 million, uh, so about. Uh, claims investigation unit, we have established it, uh, it's saving us that billion over five years. We think that this must actually be reduced to by about 80%. So we expect that over the period, we would have paid about 200 million instead of paying. 1 billion over the five years. The medical tariff and treatment protocols, as I said, we are paying five times and we have developed uh, the medical tariffs that uh, have gone out for consultation and we'll be gazetting them. We were supposed to gazette them at 2021, 2022. We had a slight here and there, but we are now uh, coming in the first quarter of 2022, 2023 to be doing that. Minimum information requirements. This is an area where we we got a big pushback from lawyers because they simply want to dump us with uh, uh, claims that are incomplete. And uh, this is where the big fight is going to be. But we have got the minimum information requirements and uh, regulations that we're going to be issuing. And we are going to be changing our forms to align to that so that we receive these things. We are able to deal with them within 60 days as provided for in terms of Section 24.5 to give an effect of whether 
the validation and verification has been done. And of course, in terms of 24-6, within 120 days, be able to give someone an offer, in which case the person will decide whether to accept the offer or not. As I said, 95% of all these claims anyway result in a settlement, and they don't actually go to court and require a judge to look at, and which is why we are saying this model must work. We included a bit of mediation, the pilot has been finalized, and in that regard, we'll be doing that. In terms of the regulations as well, we'll be um, requesting the minister to issue regulations in terms of um, section 26, um, uh, in which case we will be dealing with issues around ensuring that uh, uh, we, we, we resolution of dispute is, is done uh, 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 without people firstly going to court. So that's another area that we are going to make sure that it happens so that we don't have the situation where people just take us to court willy-nilly. And of course, uh, the average age of the rough claim, because they have not yet paid, we have reduced it from 180 days uh, to 120 days, meaning that instead of paying people in six months' time, we are now paying them in four months' time and we are bringing that down. As I said, we are sitting at about 9.5 uh, billion of the requested but not yet paid. The highest was in December 2019 when we were sitting at about 19.7 billion. So we have, we have actually halved that in two years. Next slide. Of course, the, the key initiatives here, um, we were supposed to go to the market and try to fund this. But we have since abandoned that strategy because our view is that uh, the, the, we do not need that money going forward. If you look at RAF, uh, we did not get an increase this year. We would be screaming going back to the National Treasury asking for more funds. If that was the case, to say, please bail us out, we are not in that position anymore. And that's why we are saying we have actually turned around as RAF. We've got a permanent board and a CEO that were appointed in December 2019 and August 2020, respectively. And of course, uh, part of the transformation uh, uh, includes the organizational structure and comprehensive skills audit that we have done, and of course, the production of the new operating model that we are currently operating. The micro and micro organizational structures have now been finalized, and we have onboarded a partner for the integrated claims management system that will be implemented in this year. Chair. That will help us using artificial intelligence to actually issue out uh, what we call settlements. So our settlements are going to be done uh, uh, using a system rather than individuals. That will also help us reduce uh, uh, issues of duress and anti-influence that we have seen in that. We have changed our accounting policy chair uh, in line with our mandate. And of course, that has uh, resulted in a dispute between us and the AG regarding that accounting policy. The matter is out with the courts and um, we are hopeful that it's an expedited process. I must emphasize, Chair, here that we continue working with the AG. It's just on this issue around the accounting policy that we differ with them. We have achieved 78% in the year 2020, 2021, and we expect that our similar performance is not slightly better in the year 2021, 2022. Next slide. Now, I'm just going to show you here um, by way of illustration what this new model is doing. If you look at this graph, it's just showing you that over a period, the liability was projected to increase to at least in, in this year, about 538 billion. But you would see that through our interventions, uh, this is starting to taper off and you'd see that uh, uh, in line with that, even the 
calculation that is being done currently, you see that we are sitting on 350 billion instead of the 455 that was anticipated. That tells you that we are about 100 billion of the mark in terms of trying to reduce this liability. So it means that uh, it's actually working this uh, new strategy that we are on. Next slide. This is just also to show you that the RNYP balances, which is our short-term liability, that used to lead to attachments, actually reduce. As I said, the first thing is to note that it is no longer 180 days old or more. In the other years, it was more. In 2020, 2021, we reduced it to 180 days. Now it is sitting at 120 days. But the most important aspect is to say we are now sitting at 9.5 billion of this RNYP amount. In state of, we should be sitting at 36.9 billion this year. So it is, it is that, that distinction between that orange line that goes up that exponentially and that blue line that is showing, uh, this is the effect of this new strategy that is starting to work. Next see slide. You, see, you, see you. Can you uh, begin to, to wrap up? Yeah, yes. Yeah, Chair, yeah. I think I'm at the end. I just. Um, Next slide. Uh, this one I've already dealt with, Chair. Next slide. Uh, the legal cost I've already dealt with that they decreased. We're sitting there. Issues of liability, financial sustainability, the CFO will deal with. I think that, that, that is also touched on. Next slide. Uh, that, that, that's the APP, Chair. Uh, I'm going to take it as a red. Next slide. I'm just going to show you the targets that we have. These are our targets. If you look at 2020-2023, about that, the rough business operating model and all those. Next slide. Uh, five, six, and seven. Uh, those are the targets in 2022-2023, which is the last uh, column there of 30%. And our tariffs implemented and 10% reduction in medical costs. Next slide. This is the asset and liability strategy that we're going to implement that we have already started, Chair. Next slide. Uh, the, this is ICMS I've already talked to. Next slide. Uh, this is just on the areas of governance where unqualified audits with no significant findings are there. Also um, around uh, response to parliamentary questions and all that. This is just governance and issues around fraud and corruption and our targets there. Next slide. Um, irregular expenditure as well, we've got targets on that, and compliance with 30 days payment requirement as part of the PFMA. Next slide. And this is just uh, a stakeholder management and all that. Those are the targets that we have for 2022-2023. Next slide. That's where we are, Chair. I think that's the last uh, target that we are seeing with approved impact assessment, Chair. What we want to do is just to make sure that Notwithstanding the fact that the organization is turning around, we want to see the impact it has on the actual claimants and what happens in South Africa. So I'm going to ask the CFO just to take you over the next five minutes on the on the, the budget. Thanks, Chair. What do you see? I mean CFO. Good morning. Um, thank you, Chair. 
Honourable Minister, members and, and colleagues, um, I am going to be taking you through the next part of the presentation, which is just briefly the budget. And we want to sort of focus on on this, on the resultant projections um, based on the on the instalment um, payments that, that we'll be implementing or, or hopefully fairly shortly. Um, I, I must say that I've made a, a couple of adjustments to, to this particular presentation. Um, in preparing for, for, for the presentation, we, we realized that there were some implications on the claim expenditure line of the instalment um, um, payments and the reduction of the requested not yet paid, as the CEO had said, that we had not taken into account. So I'm presenting a, an updated presentation at this point. So just um, briefly in terms of then the projection for the um, budgeted income statement, uh, we do indicate there obviously the, the actuals for 2021, uh, the preliminary action actuals for 2022, in which we then uh, indicate a surplus for the year of 1.3 uh, billion. It indicates claims expenditure there of 43 or almost 44 billion and net fuel levies of about 48 uh, billion. Um, it is important to note, Chair, at this point that the, the budget um, indicates there a stabilization in terms of the fuel levy and the, and the assumption for that uh, fuel levy is, a, is, is no increase um, on the fuel levy. So it, it would then obviously be purely um, implicated by the, the uh, um, fluctuations in, in fuel sold. And then uh, you'll see on investment income that we have quite significant increases in, in both the 2020, well, 2023 to 2025. And that is as a result of the impl implementation of the asset and liability matching strategy and, and, and could also be facilitated by the installment payment um, arrangement. So we would have additional funds available or retain uh, some of the fuel levy, uh, uh, which we could then optimize in terms of um, uh, investment and, and also then the, the resultant additional uh, income stream from, from that uh, perspective. Then, in terms of claims expenditure, as I said, so, so we'll be uh, we'll be implementing um, instalment payments fairly shortly. Um, but it you will still uh, and 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 we'll also see a reduction in terms of the requested not yet paid. Um, but it will sort of stabilize the expenditure line item in terms of claims expenditure. Um, and then also there an an indication of the increase in terms of. Um, general expenditure. We've obviously seen seen an impact in terms of expenditure, that ex particular expenditure line item in terms of, of COVID. Um, and, and our supply chain uh, processes have had sort of a slow uptake in terms of specific, specific items. But as we move forward with the implementation of the strategy, we're hopeful that a lot of the key initiatives such as um, marketing and, and, and ICT expenditure in terms of the implementation of the integrated claims management system, we would see us um, spending a bit more in terms of expenditure or general expenses, line item 2.3. Next slide. Then we just indicate here um, uh, uh, the budgeted balance sheet. As you would see, they um, say the assets uh, landed on a on actuals of, 11, of about 11.7 billion at the end of this financial year. The, the slight reduction in current assets, um, as you would see, there would be a, a reduction in, in the 
um, cash on hand, so the, or the cash balances, um, as we move towards, obviously, as the CEO said, getting our, our requested not yet paid to below um, 10 billion and less than or 120 um, days. Um, that current asset is merely made or mainly made up of, of two balances, and, and that is cash on hand or, or, or call account um, balances, as well as the uh, net fuel levy receivable. So we, we receive our fuel levies about two and a half months uh, after. So so the, the current receivable from, from SARS would then be included as part of that current asset balance. And you will see then the chair that in terms of the implementation of the, the asset and liability matching, the implementation of the, the installment payments, it would see a, a material impact um, in terms of the, the cash on hand and the investments balance. And, and you then see that sort of increase from 2023 being 26 billion uh, to 2025 being 73 billion, which would then be the retention of, of the fuel levies and, and being able to, to um, invest those funds um, appropriately and match them with liabilities as they become due. Then in terms of item 2.1, which is current liabilities, and that is, merely, is mainly made up of the, the um, uh, claims liability, as well as a bit of uh, trade creditors and others. Um, so you see a, a, a quite a significant increase in 2023 and then on towards 2025. Um, but that is mainly as a result of the introduction of an additional element on the claims liability being this uh, installment liability that we that we then would um, have in, in terms of um, the claims liability. We currently only have what the CEO referred to as requested not yet paid, and then the portion of the social benefit liability, which we could reasonably estimate at uh, for recognition purposes. But we'll be introducing that additional element um, as we move towards um, introducing uh, in, um, installment payments. Next slide. As I said, I think that the, the most key uh, impact in terms of the, the new strategy from a finance perspective would be um, the introduction of installment payments and the effect that it would have on the on the finances. And and I would just like to briefly briefly illustrate it by way of of, an, of, of just an effect on the on the um, settlements in in sort of current years. Um, so so we'll obviously we want to enhance um, our payment um, plan and our cash management. And, and efficient, effectively manage cash and assets uh, to ensure that we, we make them available when, um, as and when it is required and as and when these liabilities, um, you know, settle and, and become available for payment. So if we look at, uh, on average, the RAF settles about 28.6 billion in terms of loss of income and general damages. And the average age of each of these claimants is about 39 years. So, so obviously, when we do these calculations, we there's, there's certain assumptions in terms of um, the retirement age and then the remaining number of years. So, on average, we assume uh, loss of income is paid until the retirement age of 65, and the remaining number of years is 26. So, if we settle um, in terms of annuities over 26 years, we would only need about 1.1 billion per year for one year's worth of settlements instead of 
the current 28.6 billion, which which becomes payable as a lump sum. So as we settle then for that 39 year old loss of income on it on that particular claim, we would have to in any particular year or, or for for the group pay about 28.6 billion for loss in loss of income. Whereas if we introduce installment payments, we would only be liable for 1.1 in the year. Um, and, and with regards to that particular year. Obviously, it would be an annual payment, so it would be annualized. Um, and we would also be able to, to um, perform uh, mortality checks and to, to obviously um, stop payments as, as and when we are able to, to determine uh, mortality or not. Um, and then we also just indicate there that in terms of the closing balance as of 31st of March of requested not yet paid, 14.9 billion um, of 14.9 billion, about 11.8 billion of that balance is loss of income and general damages for compensation. So it does indicate that quite a, a material um, portion of the, the claims that we process and the values um, in our requested notified and therefore obviously our claims liability is made up of, of, of loss of income and general damages um, claims. So we would obviously be able to, to significantly reduce the cash required or the cash um, that needs to be available for the payments of these claims if we're able to settle them on an installment basis. And then we, lastly, we just indicate that if we, are, if we were able to, to settle in terms of installments for the 11.8 billion that, that forms part of the requested or form part of the requested non paid as of 31st of March 2021, we would only have about require about 562 million for payments in the 2020-2021 uh, financial year instead of the 11.8 billion, which is, is currently or was at that point currently considered overdue. So it just gives you a, a sort of an indication of, of the implications from a cash perspective if we were able to settle on an installment basis. Next slide. So here we just give you another a, a brief synopsis of, of our balances or our payments um, and settlements in terms of claims in the 2020-19 year and the implication of the installment of installment payments or annuity payments on those um, numbers. So you'll see there that um, we, we sort of break down um, in store or, or settlements um, in terms of the, the 2020-19 financial year, you'll see there's about 42.6 million worth of settlements um, in that particular year. And then we indicate there that if we were able to uh, implement installment payments, uh, the first three um, bringing us to a total of 28.6 billion, we would be able to settle on an installment basis. We then indicate um, that the annuity payments uh, for those um, in, uh, uh, three types of claims would be about 1.1. Um, and then we have, if we take our fixed payments, our administration costs, it, it brings us up to a total of 17.7 billion in, in payments for that particular year. That versus our fuel levy for that year being 43.2, it would result in, in cash available for investment in that year of 20. 5.4 billion. So it, it sort of gives you an idea that, you know, if we're able to retain that sort of funds um, uh, in terms of uh, what we receive from the fuel levy, we should be able to make material investments um, and, and, and 
generate that additional portion of, of investment returns and also manage our funds um, to be able to settle claims as and when they become uh, due for payment. Next slide. So yeah, um, what we're just trying to, to, to illustrate um, is obviously the, the um, average payments are for these types of claims, um, for a loss of earnings claims for, for, for miners, obviously carry a higher um, average than uh, than obviously for the for them um, greater than 45 year olds because their life expectancy is quite a bit uh, longer but as the ceo had said i mean the the considerations at that point um is quite open and and, and it's very difficult for for you to be able to determine in within at that point um what the 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 um loss of earnings of that particular individual would be and 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 I mean we've seen in the past that there's uh, you know um, a lot of or in terms of the findings of, from a 2014 study that was performed we see that there's there's a lot of overstatement in terms of these claims and especially when it gets to the minor claims so you'll see there that for for sort of represented claims on um, between zero to 15 years the average payment is is 1.6 and that then obviously versus a, a greater than 55 uh, being uh, 289,000 and then greater than 65, 547. Again, on the male side, it's, it's again uh, higher at that lower level. So there's a greater um, possibility for overstatement um, for these minor claims. And, and that was, was the outcome of this 2014 uh, research, where you can see then from if for the age of the accident is, is less than 20 years, uh, the expected uh, percentage for overstatement is about 50%, and so, so it moves down um, the higher the, the age of, of um, at the time of the accident is with 0% between 45 and 65. So we're, there's quite a bit of focus in terms of, of the assessment of these claims, and at the CEO has said we've introduced a, a, um, a, an actuarial in-house actuarial function to assess these claims. Next slide. Okay, and then just briefly in closing, um, we are obviously hopeful that the finalization of the RAF Amendment Act um, will be concluded and, and or, or at least move move beyond um, our expectations in terms of, and, and it will assist us in, in, in terms of the implementation of the installment payments, which, which as you can see is at the core of the ORA is financial sustainability. The publishing of medical tariffs and minimum information will also um, assist in bringing down administrative costs and, and it will expedite the settling of claims and, and moving towards a 120 day settlements as, as you would have seen in our targets. From a governance perspective, the ORAF board has been stable for about two years. Um, the board is now in its final term and, and the contacts will be coming to an end at, at sort of the end of this um, calendar year. But we're hopeful that we could have some um, continuance in terms of that board so, so that we're able to, to uh, um, continue in terms of this 2025 strategic plan and have the necessary support that we require. Um, and also with achieving the clean audit in, in 1920, we, we're obviously hopeful that the speed resolution of this litigation with the IGSA uh, could be concluded fairly shortly uh, because it is, is critical and crucial to ensuring the implementation of the strategy. 
And that brings me to the end of the presentation. Thank you so much, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, CFO and the CEO for that presentation. Uh, let's uh, uh, probably then to take uh, engagement from honorable members. Uh, uh, Chris. Uh, I've noted uh, honorable uh, Chris Hasinga. Thank you, Chairperson, and good morning, colleagues, and also uh, staff, in particular, then um, everybody from the Road Accident Fund. Uh, thank you for the presentations. Um, Mr. Letsualo, if I could start with you <clears throat> and your presentation. Um, uh, the law provides for 120 days to settle a claim, but in um, April last year, you approached court to then get an extension to 180 days. And then in September of last year, 2021, you again approached court uh, for um, possible further extension. Could you please then uh, align this um, to the average period which um, claimants do wait? Um, and uh, the experiences which we've had in complaints of people waiting for an extended period beyond, um, you know, what is what is shown in presentations. Um, my second question um, relates to the other um, uh, legal uh, avenue that you sought in approaching an extension on um, the requirements to submit. Um, your books um, to Treasury, um, where claims were made that you said that the total uh, outstanding amount of claims wasn't 300 billion, but 30 billion. Um, could you, you know, verify that? Could you give us more um, content? Because certainly what we've seen here today rather suggests closer to 300 billion outstanding claims rather than 30 billion. Uh, so if you could just elude and expand on um, that um, impression um, uh, that was uh, conveyed. The third question deals with the direct claims, and then in particular section um, 19C, um, where the road accident fund invited um, as a strategy and as a, a marketing exercise, direct claims. Uh, the Road Accident Fund, uh, especially through your predecessor, um, invited claims. Uh, and now it seems that there is a new direction um, by you in terms of realizing uh, what, the, what the law says. Um, my concern is what happens to those claims now? Because certainly there, there must be a lot of claims somewhere um, that have run out of out of the uh, uh, claim consideration period. Um, so, how are you dealing with those claims? That assuming we are now stacked somewhere um, uh, and not being addressed. Um, my fourth question then <clears throat> is about um, defending the the, the contested um, claims and 
the 10.6 billion rand in legal cost, and which you so uh, adequately put that it's often a matter of kicking for touch in that um, all claims are simply defended from the onset. Um, what is the average period of settlement currently? And um, how are you intending to improve this? Um, because we still sit with, um, the, 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 as you put it, uh, the problem which we must deal with, which then alludes to amendments uh, to the current act. And you know that I've been in contact with you and that there are people and specialists within the sector able and willing to uh, submit um, such proposals which they claim can save up to 20 to 25% uh, of the current financial um, structure and formation. Um, would you be willing to allow these submissions um, to assist in stopping the bleeding with a road accident fund? Uh, my eyebrows um, raised, um, Mr. Litswalu, when you mentioned that the road accident fund should get involved in road safety. Uh, I would suggest that that is the last thing that the road accident fund should get involved in. Um, the RTMC and the RTIA are the two entities involved in that, as you would know. And um, I think it's, it's adequate that, that they struggle with this. We don't need a further entity to also struggle with this. Um, then something in a more operational sense, uh, Mr. Letswalu, I understand that about 30 staff members at the Menden branch, Road Accident Fund branch, have been suspended for more than a year now. Fully paid, fully salaries, all benefits paid. Um, what are the circumstances? How can you have close to a whole office, 30 staff members in suspension with full benefits um, without any progress in settlement on, on this? Um, thank you, Chairperson. Those are my questions. And um, uh, I do not have anything on the financial side. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Asinja. Any further questions from Honorable Members? Uh, you just one from my side. Uh, it, it, the first one relates to the to the uh, the the uh, the hurt uh, to secure uh, uh, legal services that will help the the uh, the fund with the with the uh, in-house. Uh, uh, Attorneys, when do we expect closure on this? Because on two to three occasions it was uh, it was uh, advertised and then uh, uh, withdrawn. So the, the second one relates to the well, the matter of the uh, the tension between the AG and the and the fund. Just uh, uh, clarity in terms of. Uh, how far is this process uh, so that at least we are able to to satisfy ourselves in terms of uh, the closure on this matter and then the, the third one uh, the the new policy and the new strategy uh, has it been uh, the subject matter of, of, of litigation uh, uh, which I suspect uh, in most cases the issue will be the, the rationality of the 
the decisions to dispense with the panel of attorneys as you've alluded to. I've noted Honorable Patterson. Thank you, Chairperson. I must apologize for not turning my camera on. My, my internet connection is very unstable. Chair, just two questions. Um, in consultation some time ago with the medical fraternity, um, the, the issue was raised in relation to RAF claims about certain prescribed limits being placed on certain um, injuries that are claimed for by, by uh, claimants to the RAF. Um, in that the system is open to abuse by attorneys in the private sector who can go out of their way to claim excessive amounts and reap the benefit by claiming from the from the from the claimants a um, what's known as a contingency fee, a percentage of the amount that, uh, that the successful claim was, which can lead to the situation of <clears throat> attorneys becoming very wealthy, but the claimants ending up with very little as a result. So has, is the RAF considering that in terms of uh, new legislation to, to place uh, limits on that? And uh, that's the first question. And the second question, um, I've been through the, the budget documents and what I don't, don't seem to see is a, an amount allocated to a pet project of mine, <laughs> which is the digitization of the driver's licenses. Um, and so that, that's the one question. What, what amount has been allocated to the digitization of the driver's license? And then in a previous engagement, Chair, we, we, dealt, we, we met with the entity responsible for that, and they told us that we were looking at 2025 for the rollout of digitized licenses. And I indicated at that time, and it was covered in the media, that that is simply far too long. Um, and <clears throat> the excuse given is that Parliament, that Cabinet has still not signed it off, um, and that uh, the entire system has to be replaced. <clears throat> so my question coming from that it, to, to the Minister is, is has, has Cabinet number one signed it off? And number two, <clears throat> the current format of the card, as it appears now, as it is currently in my car, what is wrong with that format? Why does it have to be completely redesigned? Are there, are there uh, security flaws in it? Um, is it too easily duplicated? Uh, what, what is wrong with that? Because, uh, see, if you go down to basics, somebody somewhere has to go onto a computer and enter the details of a person applying to renew their driver's license or, or a new driver's license holder and simply input information into, into a platform or into, a, into a, um, a certain software, and it produces that license, which then is printed by the machine. So why is it not possible to simply take that digital version before it is printed and put it on an, an app that people can download and have the digitized version on their phones, on their smartphone, as well as receiving a printed version of the card? I, don't, I, don't, I really do not understand the need to reinvent the wheel on driver's licenses. And, and, and creates an entirely new format, which takes 
months and years to sort out when we actually have a system which has to be put into some sort of software in order to print it. And surely that we can just, at that point, take the digitized version, make it available on the app, and then the person can also receive their printed card. So if we could just get some clarity around that, because I do, do, not, do not understand the workings of that, and I'm sure that the rest of South Africa would be particularly interested uh, in the answer to that question. Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Honorable Tim Bratisseth, Honorable McDonald. No, thank you, Chair. Um, Chair, I'm also not going to put my uh, camera on due to network challenges. Uh, Jefferson, uh, some of my questions have been answered. Um, I just want to make uh, a couple of comments. Um, Jefferson, um, on Mr. Letzaro from the CEO, I, I want to commend you on, on the job done so far. You've taken an entity that was about to implode financially, and you've done a great job in stabilizing the entity that was bleeding. And I, I, firstly, I would like to commend you on that. Secondly, uh, Chip, uh, CEO, um, I went to the Bloemfontein branch the other day, and it's the one in the CBD. And um, the, it seems it's very difficult for people to get in there. It's always closed. There's always excuses. There's always problems getting into that office. And if that could be attended to. And my question is, um, the standoff with the AG, when will this be resolved? Because we can't have an entity that's fighting another entity within government and it's in the media and it causes a spat with each other. And and it's a he says, she said, and, and it's become a problem. And uh, I would really like to see us get this resolved as soon as possible, so, because it's good for, for, for the road accident fund and it's good for the, uh, the AG that this is e the issue is resolved so that we can continue with our lives and everybody is happy and, and there's no money wasted on litigation on, on, on accounting principles. And that's my only comments and questions. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank, thank you, Honorable Rukti. Uh, Honorable Marcosini. Marco Sini, is there a problem with connection? Um, Chairperson, yes, uh, there is a problem with connection from Mr. Chabangu. Okay, all right. Uh, maybe just while we're still trying to sort that out, uh, the last one from my side, has there been any interaction with the with the Legal Practice Council uh, uh, CEO with regard to, to uh, some of the challenges that we have alluded to, or probably even the new strategy and the policy uh, just to take, take them on board in terms of uh, appreciating uh, the, uh, the need for the intervention uh, uh, around the policy and the strategy. Uh, which was informed, I believe, by the by the background that you have alluded to, uh, the about to implode uh, 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 fund, uh, the, the the rate of execution that was facing 
the fund, uh, but, but, but more than that, uh, uh, also, uh, has there been any interaction with, uh, with the registrar uh, or the, let's say, the, the, uh, the, the Office of the Chief Justice with regard to, to, to the case management? Because I believe, that, as you have uh, correctly pointed out, uh, there's uh, many le- uh, legal cases will definitely have an impact in terms of uh, the case management, in terms of uh, the, the, the court role. Uh, so, uh, thank you. Uh, we will wait for Honorable uh, Macrosini to to sort out uh, uh, his uh, network problem. Over to you, CEO. Thanks very much, Chair. Um, yeah. I think that the the first part. Let me ask uh, the issue around involvement in. Uh, uh, road safety. As it were, Chair, we, we suffer the consequences of any uh, accident that happens on our roads. We suffer the consequences of any death that happens. We are the ones that must pick up all the pieces and make sure that, that people continue their lives. And it's going to be important. One of the most important aspects, for instance, is this part of apportionment. If you know once you get injured, for instance, you are a passenger, you have not buckled your safety belt. There's an apportionment portion. Instead of giving you 100%, for instance, uh, we will give you 50%. And South Africans must know that. Yeah, that's the first part. But I think um, the issues around, if you look at Section 4 of our Act, actually wants us to invest a lot into uh, research, certainly in line with old safety. And we need to be, we are not going to be the lead agency. We know the lead agencies are TMC. We're going to support them in doing what they're doing. Coming from an angle we are coming at. And I think we need to also invest a bit of what we have in making sure that the the message is out there and that the benefits of the road safety strategy starts to show results. Because when they show results, in our view, that will help the uh, sustainability of the fund going forward. So investment in that area and collaboration with them is going to be helpful. It's not competition. We are going to work very closely. Um, the issue around the 120 days of settlement of claims and 180 works like this. So the 180 we're asking for is at the time when we had a liquidity crunch, meaning people will just ask for money we never had, attach our bank accounts, and in a way jump the queue. This has nothing to do with the settlement. Because remember, settlement is about, when we looked at it, it was going around five years on average, five to six years on average. And our issue was uh, far away from the 120 days uh, of settling a claim. So we would have settled, we would have taken five years to settle that claim and another thousand days probably paying that money out because Ralph simply did not have the money to pay that. But in the process of people waiting for that, others will jump a queue by attaching our bank accounts, which is why we went to the court and asked for this 45A. And, and we asked for 180 days to say, if the debt is now older than 180 days, meaning the matter has been settled, we have got to pay you. The payment is the one that will take 180 days. So we asked for that 180 days we are given. As we say now, we are sitting at 120 days after you have settled your claim, then we pay you. If we take it in on a line basis, it means 
If we settle the matter within 120 days as we target it, then it will take you another 120 days to receive your money. You should get your money within 240 days, which is a big thing compared to the five years that we used to spend over the period. So the average waiting period had been five years. We are trying to reduce it to less than a year. And this is the direction that we are moving. The second part is the, uh, the legal avenue and the exchange and the requirements of the actual amount. Um, so the, the issues around um, this 300 billion is simply an actuarial liability. An actuarial liability is something that is for insurance companies that would actually collect premiums that are associated with the risk with which they are taking and consequently they've got policyholders they calculate it as such. It's, it's used uh, what is called IFRIS 4. And I think others are moving to what is called IFRIS 17 that is coming uh, in, the, in, the, in this year and the next year or all the other insurers. It, it actually applies to people that are governed in terms of the Insurance Act of South Africa, Insurance Act of 2017. We are not part of that. We are not an insurer. Therefore, we are using what, in determining our accounting policy, we used what is called IPSAS 42, which is International Public Sector Accounting Standards Board uh, Standard 42 that deals with social benefits. Uh, if this does not have a social benefit standard, we are using that standard to determine our accounting policy because GRAB does not have. And that is the difference between uh, that actual liability and actual accounting liability at 30 billion. So we use the actual liability for purposes of uh, risk management and not for purposes of accounting liability. On the accounting liability side, as we are saying, it was sitting at around 30 billion. And we are still confident that we are right regarding that because if we are insurer then we will talk about that but we are not insurer in this respect but one of the things that we wanted to do is not to lose sight of the fact that there was this so-called 300 billion liability which is why we are managing it we are also still calculating it to just see what the effect of the new strategy are on it on the on the claims this side not necessarily on the accounting side now then there is an issue around the uh, direct claims in terms of 19C and that, yes, of course, I mean, I am the last one to criticize my predecessors. Uh, it was a direction they were going uh, uh, and uh, the view was that perhaps was coming, they were preparing for it. So the strategy was quite different from what we, we, we looked at. And of course, uh, the reality is what is that the, the, the sub, rough uh, system is quite convoluted for an ordinary person. Even doctors, people that you think that know and understand, educated people, including lawyers that don't operate in this space, don't understand how the rough system works. So it's difficult for people to do that. And the aim was that let's make sure that at least 25% that the lawyers take uh, goes to the claimant. And Consequently, that was the direct move claim that was marketed like that. Yes, we have got claims that are there. Once the claim is there, it can't run out the claims consideration period. We have got to make sure we assess that claim. That's why you would see somewhere we went and checked whether those direct claims have got enough information for us to be able to make an offer. And we realize that most of them don't. And they are dormant because we try to contact these people and we can't get hold of these people. And, and it's creating an issue for us. As we say, 
we can only operate within the realms of the law. There is no longer a, a bill of RAP sitting there. So we, are, we just focus on the RAP uh, Act and we, we, we are actually looking at those amendments. And of course, I mean, people in hindsight, they can say it's wrong and all that. We are not saying that. We are just saying that the law does not enable that aspect of the work and we must do what is enabled by the law. And uh, we need in the amendment to change that 19C because our view is that doctors are better people to actually fill in those forms than the, 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 the lawyers. Because lawyers also, they have ESA about whether the extent of the injury and what happens to it. Now, number four is the uh, defending of, of, of the contested claims and the average period of settlement. As I say, the average period of settlement, as it were, it is about five years. And of course, there are those backlogs that we have got to deal with. Um, and we, we have finalized these issues around what must happen. We have got a thing called a settlement hub where things are settled within 120 days. We focus on 120 days. We know it's a long shot, but it's where we are. We want to settle this thing within um, 120 days. Are we comfortable with our backlog? Yes. Do we want private sector to be involved? I don't think they can do better than we have done. I must be honest. Of course, private sectors are going to come and tell you they are doing the same. And our, our view is very simple, Mr. Usina, that um, private sector would not get involved in a process where they're not going to make money. And the reality is here. They are saying they want to come and help us with the backlog. Uh, earlier on, they had anticipated that we were going to give them a so-called 300 billion liability that they would have simply went into that book and did what we did and come back and said, this is a 30 billion liability and paid it like that. And we would be sitting here and people would think private sector is more creative than we are. I don't think that the team that we have at the, the, the RAF um, uh, fails in doing its work. And I think we are quite clear about the fact that we will settle these claims, we will settle them properly. The system we are bringing in, a uh, world-class system, Artificial intelligence is going to come into the space. We're going to do much better than any private sector entity would do. We are open, of course, for submissions and we look at them, but uh, it's not something that is primarily in our minds. In our minds, we are focused on this new strategy and we see it working. Um, the issue around in-house attorneys, it cannot be correct here that uh, we went into the market and we do it. We actually are working with that. We have, we have appointed 83 so far. We have advertised again for more because we are facing headwinds here and there in other high courts, like North Houghton High Court, where we see the numbers and people just counting the numbers that we have and actually pushing these things to go to court, knowing very well that the, the numbers are, are, are few. So we have issued out another one. So we'll be hiring another. I will be doubling that capacity to make sure that our people are there. But the aim is to make sure that these issues are settled out of court as per the provisions of, 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 of Section 24, and we must avoid the court at all costs if we can. The issue around the clarity on the AGSA, yeah, as I say, we differ with the AGSA on the interpretation of whether we must apply IFRIS, whose powers are, are there. We are saying these are our powers in terms of grab trade. And of course, I mean, they, we have got 14 grounds, not only one. 14 grounds, 10 of them, substantive grounds on which we are setting, we are trying to set the decisions on the AGR side. 
it is not something we took lightly. It's something that we are, we are, we are a chapter nine institution. Unfortunately, it's not something that intergovernmental you can deal with. Once you deal with chapter nine, the intergovernmental relations framework falls out because they, they are independent in that way. There's no minister who can tell them what to do. And the only way we can deal with their findings is through a judicial intervention. And that's the only way that we could actually do it. We tried, of course, to deal with these issues through a mediation with National Treasury, but halfway through the AG felt that they don't want to proceed with it, which is one thing we're also challenging in our in our approach to say they should have allowed the process to conclude, but of course they are not forced to be in that space because they are chapter nine, which is different from any other entity. Now, um, the strategy of and the rationale to dispense, of course, I mean, we took that rationale. The best thing to look at is just to say, if you are going to insource or outsource, what, what makes sense? You only outsource if it gives you efficiencies. In this case, we outsource and it was giving us worse inefficiencies of the worst order that we can see, think at 10.6 billion a year cost. And it was growing and, and we had to do something about it and that's what we have done. Interactions with LPC. It's very difficult chair to deal with the LPC. Self-regulation in my view has never worked. You are talking to the state. So if you go to the executive of the LPC, you are going to find people that are actually previous rough panel members. Even when there were panel members that were sitting on the LPC. So you complain about the same people to the same people. It really doesn't work, that LPC thing, in my view. And uh, we keep on talking to them. We have engagement on engagement. There is no, uh, there is no sector or, or a profession that we have had engagement with more than the LPC. We have met them more than any other stakeholder in our stakeholder management space. So uh, it's something that we continue to engage them on, but we are quite certain and clear about uh, the, where their, their, their things are lying. I mean, their interests are lying. It's very clear. The judiciary, we engage with the judiciary. Even in this, uh, I think in May, there is a thing called the NEEC, which is the National Efficiency Committee uh, that is chaired by the uh, Chief Justice. We do go there and we discuss because 88% of all civil litigation in South Africa is matters. So we do discuss with them and discuss those issues. And of course, in other instances, we do win. In other instances, we don't. And remember, the independence of the judiciary must also be taken into consideration when you, you consult with them, because much more of the things tend to also come and they've got to deal with those matters. We have seen it with this uh, issue around us and our panel of attorneys, where we discussed certain things. And of course, at the end of the day, uh, they were being accused of being biased because we have met with them. So we, we also balance that. From an administrative point of view, we continue to meet as administrators. And then, of course, uh, uh, claiming of claims, uh, the percentage of the amount, um, um, the, the claimants um, continue to pay about 25% as, as it were. We are trying to make the rough system very simple for people to be able to, uh, to, to claim. We are saying give us the minimum requirements. We'll tell you what we are looking out for. We are going out massively in the area of marketing, as the CFO has already said to actually make sure that we explain to people what RAF is about, what is required by RAF for them to be able to do what they need to do. We have got undertakings that we give uh, for the medical tariffs, right? So uh, we have got medical tariffs that we are going to come up with. We have got undertakings, but these undertakings are open-ended because a person can just go to a, a surgeon today, let's just say a plastic surgeon, and go and say, I'm doing screen crafting, I need a plastic surgeon. I want to remove this uh, scar 
and then pay a lot of money, let's just say about half a million, come back and claim that because we have given the undertaking, the president will say, but this was as a cause of the accident. In ordinarily, they would have to come to us and say, give us a pre-approval, we'll see whether that makes sense for that person to do that, and we'll say this is how much we'll pay, should we agree that this must be done. And the medical protocol of saying what comes before what, and then all those things that must be done before must, must actually be put in there. So we have got those protocols that we're putting in place. We are bringing medical tariffs. We are clear that this undertaking will be able to do this. I can't deal with digitization of driver's licenses because that sits in another area, which is RTMC, and I think the department may want to answer that. Um, Honorable McDonald talks about the excuses of the Bloomfontein branch. Uh, uh, we have that, but I mean, the, the, the biggest issue is what we are trying to do uh, currently. Our model works on having provincial offices now, fully fleshed. We are going to get an office like that one in Melle, uh, in every province. We are not going to look at this because the, the, the penetration model that we used in the past, service provision model, was based on where the courts were. For instance, uh, Bloomfontein reports to uh, uh, Johannesburg branch. In Gauteng, we've got three. So we've got the head office in, in Pretoria, we've got mainland region, which takes care of uh, Limpopo, uh, Mpumalanga, uh, Northwest and the northern part of Pretoria, uh, or, or of Houghton. That is because the North Houghton High Court said therefore with that jurisdiction. So if you look at it, all those things were there. Now we have got the Limpopo High Court, we've got the Mpumalanga High Court, but we are still sitting in the university. So we are rationalizing that to make sure we've got, we've got nine uh, uh, provincial offices and we're going to have where this all these uh, 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 processing centers one in Western Cape and one in Haute that is going to process all those claims, but our footprint will actually go back. We, we, we had a footprint in hospitals for the wrong reasons, but now we're going to have that footprint that's going to do the right things in the right area so, so that we've got a, a visible footprint. And I, I think that the other issues that we had, we, we struggled a lot with this thing called COVID. Half the time, our guys, when they do that, and in smaller offices, of course, once a person has got COVID most of the time, uh, he is a contact of everybody in the office. So we had to close most of the office intermittently because of COVID, but it's something that we are also working towards. And it's something that I, I will take personally and check what is happening in the Bluefontein branch to check why they close and why they're not serving our people properly. properly. An expedited process has been done in terms of the AGSA and ourselves. It's a review process, but we agree that it can take long. So we have agreed that we are now approaching the um, DJP in North Houghton to make sure that they put a full bench and quite quickly so that we can deal with this matter on an expedited process. Because the sooner we conclude on this matter, the better for us, Chair. I hope I've answered all the questions. If there are any that I've left, you'll you excuse me, Chair, and then we can be told and I'll, I'll respond. Thanks, Chair. Uh, thanks, Leo. There's uh, one on the chart uh, from Ntando uh, Noruchungu. Uh, say thank you for the work that you and your team has done and the processes that you have put in place to put uh, Raft back on the track. We also take note of the millions that have been saved from sourcing the services. Continue using this model in order to save more money. What is the total amount still owed to claimants? 
then you think this debt will be settled. The AG South Africa argues that your new accounting system has led to rough underestimating its liabilities. What is your response to that? What is your? Thanks, Chair. Uh, what we owe claimants as we speak is 9.5 billion. As we said, we have reduced that from 19.7 billion, and the average uh, uh, age of the debt at the time was sitting far beyond 250 days. We now are owing uh, claimants 9.5 billion, and then the, the age is only four months, which means that if we had all this money, we'll pay it so that we are at zero. But we owe claimants 9.5 billion uh, that uh, offsettled claims. And of course, in anticipating future claims that are coming, we are owing about, about another 15 uh, billion to them. But those are claims that have not been settled but are in the system. So that's where we are. But for, for cash purposes and us having the money, we needed another 9.5 billion for us to be able to say we are at zero. We owe no one currently on what has been settled. Um, we disagree, as I said, with the AG's views that we are underestimating the debt. We are think that it's overestimated. Using an actual uh, deficit for a social benefit is wrong at all levels. Using if it's four was never appropriate in our view. We had to use, and of course, I mean, the rationale of bringing uh, IPSAS 42 by the International Public Sector Accounting Standards Board was because there was a realization that social benefits are being uh, 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 accounted for using a wrong accounting method, which is the, the insurance approach, which is something that uh, we do not follow because we have a social benefit scheme. Even the prudential authority at the Reserve Bank is clear about the fact that we are a social benefit. So the fact that AG says that we are an insurer tells you why they think that we have overstated that. Of course, if we are insurer, Yes, it will be clear that we have overstated, but we are social benefit and we do not have a nexus between the money we collect from the fuel levy and the, uh, the benefits that we are paying out, which is why we are social benefits. And it's a pay-as-you-go system. And if in an insurance system, you pay your premiums upfront and you get covered for that. In this case, it's a pay-as-you-go. So we do not have any reserves to talk about like any other insurance company. So that's why we are saying what we are saying. And we are quite comfortable about that. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, thank you, CEO. Uh, I see Honorable Marcosini's hand is again up. Uh, I hope this time uh, his uh, network is, is okay. Thank you, Honorable Marcosini. Thank you, Chair. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yes, let me also echo the very same uh, sentiment that were echoed by. Mr. Mrs. Nolichundu, uh, I wonder as to whether some of the questions have been answered while I was uh, still lost. But uh, the few that I have is uh, one: it is alleged that claimants who are known for to run executive receives uh, preferential treatment with regard to claims. How far through is this? Then the second question would be. When is RAV going to use the petrol levy to help the motor vehicles owners in South Africa so that they can be uh, they can pay less with regard to petrol? Thank you very much.
Tim, let me that day that day. Sorry, Chairperson. Yes, Tim. We can hear you, sir. Can you say what you want to say, Honorable Tim? Uh, we are all yours, sir. Oh, maybe he has a bit of a problem uh, in terms of network. Um, no, thanks, uh, Comrade uh, Kenny, um, for holding forth such an interesting uh, part. Let me take this one, uh, the bigger one, I guess. Um, I'm not going to greet because the greetings were done. Let's shift over and maybe before doing that, let me thank the entire leadership of RAF, um, the board and the CEO. And thank you for honoring um, the invitation by both the select committee and the, the portfolio committee. Um, let me allow this opportunity then to the, the department to brief us on the same, same issues, the APP's strategic plan and the budget of the Department of Transport for 2022-2023. Um, I don't know if Minister wants to uh, say something or let me, before I go to this business, I can see that there are hands from the previous um, presentation. Um, honorable team, we are trying to give you an opportunity. Um, Thank you, Honorable Chair. Um, my apologies. Uh, the, the power has just gone uh, where I am. <laughs> so I'm now contacting you on my phone. Um, Chair, I, I will hold back the question. The question was just about the budget and the process allocated to the digitization of uh, of driver's licenses. If you feel it will be appropriate for me to ask that question after the next presentation, I'm happy to do so, Chair. But that question was not answered. Oh, you, you, you asked that question and it was not answered. Yes, but Chair, maybe it's more appropriate it comes after this presentation because maybe the previous questions are all about the RAF. Uh, I may have jumped the gun there, Chair. I, I will hold back. Let me just check why was the question not answered uh, so that I do not uh, answer on something that I um, I was not uh, cheering on. Uh, if you lower your hand, I think the hand of a CEO is here. We may as well say um, he must respond to that. Uh, Thanks very much, Chair. Um, uh, we didn't answer that question because uh, it is, I think, relevant to the department because we okay. we don't deal with driver's licenses, so we didn't ask, ask that. The, the reason why I raised my hand, Chair, was to ask to be excused so that we don't just jump off. Uh, we asked to present first so that we could actually jump to other commitments that we 
had asked that we we attend to. If we are allowed by the chair to step off the platform, thanks, chair. It, it would have been a sin for you to step off without having heard my voice. Uh, now that you have to, you have spoken to me, I have already thank you together with your team. Um, you are allowed. I'm told you were supposed to go to um, Pumalang or Limpopo somewhere there. So you are allowed to attend to your next uh, engagement. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you to Thank you. honorable members. Thank you. Um, honorable team, your question will be answered, sir. Uh, I'm requesting that the department may as well note some of these questions that needed the department's response as after the presentation, of course. Um, let's check. Is the minister here? Deputy Minister, do you want to say something before I open up to the officials? Thank you very much. Uh, the minister's uh, overall input covered the department as well, together with a road accident fund uh, comments. I uh, will probably come in when uh, uh, questions are asked. So yes, we can go on with the presentation. Thank you, Chair, and good morning. Nice to hear your voice, uh, uh, Deputy Minister. Thank you very much. Sarakela uh, Pambili. Honorable Matthias, would you please um, take the podium and uh, save us a bit of time? Uh. Thank you, thank you, uh, Chair, and thank you as well to the co-chair of the select committee. And uh, good morning once again to, to the ex, uh, esteemed members of parliament. <clears throat> and also good morning to our colleagues um, uh, from the department, senior um, management that is present here. We had already greeted the minister and the deputy minister who are part and parcel of this session. Chair, um, the Department of Transport will be presenting our annual performance plan, business, uh, our strategy, a strategy plan, uh, outcome that took place early this year, as well as um, uh, we'll be uh, presenting our project. Um, we will start with um, our uh, annual performance plan and will be led by Chief Director, Mr. Ramansi, um, who is all in this platform as well. And the name Mr. Madiaze. Yes, Chair. If I, if I, somebody else was chairing, I'm sure they were going to say, uh, can't we make uh, something with the light of uh, the office where you are? But because it's me, Cherry, 
and I'm as guilty as as as, as child. I'm sure. Uh, let's continue. I think chair is more of the of the quality of the. Ah, ah, stop right there. Let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, chair. Um, I think the the network itself is not helping, but I've tried my best uh, uh, to improve the light. Uh, chair, I will hand over to Mr. Ramansi uh, to take the. Uh, members uh, through the presentation of the Department of Transport. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Acting DG. Ms. Ramansi, come. Um, thank you very much, uh, uh, Chairperson, and uh, the person of the Select Committee as well, members of the, of the two committees, um, Minister, Deputy Minister, and the colleagues. Um, if I can ask Chairperson uh, with your indulgence just to save the broadband that I switch my, my, my camera off and then I also share my screen for my side um, with your indulgence, sir. Um, uh, Chairperson, I will go through the strip plan and the APP of the Department of Transport. Obviously, I will consider it as red, uh, but um, I will just, um, for the benefit of time, just uh, focus on the key issues that um, um, we want to drive through and also um, uh, present to the committees um, in terms of um, uh, why our plans uh, look the same, the, the way they look, and also um, the, the, the number of, of, of strides that we have made in implementing the MTSF um, over the, the previous two and a half years. Um, so that it becomes um, um, uh, just our pre-information that uh, details um, the, the plan going forward. Uh, obviously, we are still aligned to the seven apex priorities of, of the sixth administration. Um, we are also still aligned to the minister's priorities as they are in his uh, uh, performance agreement. And uh, we will move at speed. The other slides that I'm going to skip are, um, are generic and um, uh, we have not um, uh, uh, changed. We are still um, responding to the uh, to 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 out, outcome two and five, uh, uh, contributing mainly to one, two, five, and six. But if you look at the work of the department, um, there are contribution at, at various levels on all the seven uh, priorities of government. Um, we, we, for the purpose of time and for this meeting, um, we will put our focus mainly on the three key strategic focus areas of the department that talks to safety and security, uh, that talks to public transport, that and that talks to infrastructure build. And on the issues of maritime and the transformation, we'll just touch on the key issues just to, to, to highlight that. Um, the, the values have not changed. They remain what we have. And these are the eight um, focus areas of the department. Five of the, of the, uh, the, the first five are, are aligned to the minister's priorities and the other three were added to ensure that there is total alignment to the medium-term strategic framework. And uh, these are delivery programs that we use in the department to implement those, those, um, those strategic focus areas. And uh, we will go into the strategic plan. Um, just at the top, Chair, um, we, we just added this slide just to give credence to, 
to the our, our, our strategic plan and our APP. And just to highlight that um, at the beginning of the sixth administration, um, Chairperson, we were faced as a sector with a number of challenges. And the biggest for us that we have always communicated um, were the road accident fund, um, uh, the, the passenger rail agency of South Africa, and Sandal. Um, with regard to RAF, I think that the 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 the, the it, it, it was our biggest um, uh, challenge in that it's runaway um, actual liability um, of more than 300 billion and um, also uh, the short-term liability of, of about 17 billion and uh, the next was prasa um, where we were experiencing deterioration of of on, on of infrastructure non-provision of services um, inadequate spending on its budget and the non-achievement of its performance targets. I think uh, that those have been topical over 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 time. And uh, the other one was Sandro, um, in terms mainly with regard to the GFIP saga. Um, and uh, there were also governance um, issues uh, that we needed to address at RTMC, RTIA, and uh, and and SAMS. Um, uh, so 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 the sector needed to so, show some sense of agency in addressing these pertinent issues and challenges uh, facing it. And I, I think piggybacking on the minister's opening remarks, um, we, we, we now know that um, it can be business as usual. And um, there are certain areas where we will need to improve as a sector to ensure that we move at speed to, 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 to address that. But I think it's also pertinent, Chair, that before we actually go through, we take a bit of time and talk to some of the strides that we have made uh, in terms of um, how far we have moved in the two years of implementation of the MTSF, and starting with the RAF as the as one of the of the main challenges, as, as also presented in the previous presentation, that um, in, in 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 addressing what uh, the challenge was at RAF, um, they they then came up with a new strategic plan, um, and they introduced a new operating model, moving away from 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 the litig the, the, the model that was um, litigation heavy. To, to 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 that 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 focuses on claims management, um, thus prioritizing any investigations and settle, settlement of uh, of claims within 120 days. I think that uh, that is one of the major uh, movements that uh, we we have achieved um, in in this regard. Um, in with regard to also um, um, reducing costs, uh, the termination of the mandate of the of the panel of attorneys. Um, which was to reduce costs and also improve efficiencies, um, also the, the 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 reduction of medical costs uh, uh, by among others uh, developing the rough medical tariff, uh, implementing treatment protocols, and uh, introducing medical pre authorizations. I think, chair, we, we need to highlight it as one of the most um, uh, and, uh, achievement that we we continue to work around. And mainly from the minister's perspective, that um, um, uh, the the permanent uh, board was appointed during the period under review, and a permanent CEO was 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 also was also uh, um, appointed. And in terms of driving this new model, uh, matching orders from the minister and support that was provided to the to the agents to to the agency itself, um, we 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 want to talk to 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 how how far we, we we've gone in that regard. The other part, uh, Chair, with, with regard to the challenge is, is, is at Prasa. And we are the first to admit that um, Prasa has not moved at the pace that we wanted it to move. But um, there are 
there are strides that we, we have we have also introduced. Um, as part uh, of, of, of that, a permanent board was also appointed by the minister, um, and we also appointed a, a, a CEO, and the, um, certain issues didn't go well, and, the, and, and we, we are working on those. But it's also pertinent, Chair, that we highlight a, a number of issues that we are doing in that space. And um, in the past two years, the, the Prasa Rolling Stock Fleet Renewal Program, which is at the fore of our recovery of, um, of, 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 the, of the rail operations. Um, and we are reporting 79 new trains that have been produced through the, 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 the Gibella plant. And uh, this, this figure will increase to 85%, um, 85 trains um, by, by the end of this financial year, once we have verified the, the quarter four information. Um, we also need to highlight that in terms of that production at Gibella, um, localized sourcing and procurement is sitting at 50% and, and, and at, for local content. And, and, and that, is, that is some of the issues that um, we, are, we, are, we are driving from a technical point of view. The number of jobs in the space, only on the fleet renewal program, is sitting at 1,004, um, with 420 of those being women, 788 being the youth. Um, and in other in other infrastructure programs, um, you know, uh, Prasa is reporting around 1,691 jobs created in the signaling program, only in Houting and um, and the, and, the, and the Western Cape. Further than that, Chair, still with Prasa, what we're trying to address with regard to this challenge, um, the Prasa corridor recovery. I think this, this it's most important that we highlight, Chair, that in the past two years. Um, we have recovered around four corridors, and these corridors are currently uh, uh, running limited services. Three of these corridors, um, uh, have, we have also deployed new trains uh, uh, to these corridors. And these include the, the, the Mabopani Corridor in Gauteng, uh, the Salisville Corridor in Gauteng, the Southern Suburbs um, uh, uh, Corridor in the Western Cape, and the Northern Corridor in Belleville and in the Western Cape. Um, we, we are very much aware of the challenges of uh, encroachment onto the rail reserves that is currently happening on the central line in the Western Cape. But we, we can also talk to the partial services that have been um, uh, restored on that, on that uh, corridor between Cape Town and Langa. And on, on, also in the first quarter of this uh, upcoming financial year, we are in progress um, to phase in the rollout um, of, 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 um, of operations uh, in, in, in the Pinelands Langa uh, line, in the, Lang in the Langa, Serepta, and Belleville line, and also in the Belleville and, and Langa, and Langa uh, um, uh, corridor. In Gauteng, there are three corridors that are all, all also running um, with interim diesel services. Uh, these are Pinarsport to Naledi, to Pretoria, uh, Naledi to, to, to Johannesburg, and also in the Leralla corridor. In KwaZulu-Natal, uh, we've also have limited services uh, restored in Umlazi and Devon, and obviously these have been affected by the recent floods. And we are working together with the province to ensure that we fix the infrastructure, and we also we also we also work on that. Um, but more priority, you'll see that in our strategy plan, Chairperson uh, uh, and, and members, that we will be looking at mainly the the, the Mabupane Rail Corridor, and also the Central Line Corridor. Uh, and maybe it's just to add more of the of the of the narrative that we have we did not include in the 
in the in this in the in the in the presentation that in December 2019, um, uh, services were suspended on the Mabopane Rail Corridor due to extensive theft and vandal vandalism of the power supply system and other rail infrastructure. But in, in February 2020, a program to recover these um, was then introduced. This included um, restoring the power supply system, upgrading the signaling system on the corridor, rehabilitating the vandalized stations for revenue collection, and also upgrading the security system within this corridor. And uh, we are also happy to announce that um, on the 17th of January 2022, um, the, the services resumed, uh, resumed 42 train tips per day um, on this corridor, and five stations are now operational on this corridor. Uh, work has already commenced uh, to rehabilitate uh, additional stations on this corridor, and um, uh, uh, also services have also been uh, resumed on the developed line, uh, line. On the central line, um, a corridor, um, mainly regarding the encroachment on the rail um, reserves in the Western Cape. We've got, we've got about 3,858 temporary structures, uh, informal housing, uh, that have been erected on the railway reserves along the central uh, line in the Western Cape. And this only covers um, uh, the areas of Langa, Filippi, and Kayelicha. Um, with the efforts that we've made as a departmental sector, the community has opposed the parcels of land uh, that has been offered uh, through the Department of Public Works and the Western Cape Provincial Government, and um, uh, no relocation can take place until this matter has been finalized. Um, on the 9th of March uh, 2022, an implementation protocol was then um, uh, concluded to address this. Um, and, and this is between uh, the, department, the Department of Transport, the Department of Human Settlement, uh, Public Works and Infrastructure, the Western Cape Departments of um, uh, Human Settlement, Transport and Public Works, the City of Cape Town, uh, and the Housing Development Agency, and also PRASA, to work around relocation of the informal settlers. The steering committee of the, of the implementing protocol uh, has also been established, and um, the DOT has also entered in a service level agreement with the Housing Development Agency, and uh, we should act as an implementing agent uh, to, to move uh, to, to move these people by by April 2022. So these these are part of the of the of, of, of the issues that we are we, we have worked on, especially on the on the on the on the issue of of, of Prasa chair. And going forward, um, we, we we will intensify our efforts and ensure that um, we move at pace. To, to, to win over and, and start operations op optimally on all the corridors that we want to uh, revitalize over, uh, over the next two and uh, two years. On the Sandra's uh, um, issue chair, the issues around the GFM, and I, I think it's very pertinent for us chairperson and members to highlight that um, we have moved as stride as the Department of Transport to look at options of addressing the saga that is GFM up to a point where we made recommendations to um, the, 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 the to cabinet and that those recommendations were adopted by cabinet. Well, what we, where we're sitting at the moment is the uh, um, modalities of the mechanism of implementing um, uh, the, the cabinet decision and that those are engagements that are between the Department of Transport and National Treasury. And at most, um, it's on the part of Treasury to ensure that uh, 
the, uh, the, the decision of cabinet is implemented and where they need to propose alternatives uh, uh, on, on, the, on the probabilities of what could be covered by the by the fiscus and what poses risk to the fiscus, they would then be at liberty to propose that so that we can be able to move at pace on 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 on, on that on, on that particular on that particular one chain. And I think I think once the GFIP saga is resolved, then the ability of Sandran to continue as a going concern will gain traction, and they can be able to meet the, to meet their mandate, and we can be able to 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 see their overall condition index. Um, increasing as was targeted when we started the 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 AP the APP in 2019. Um, Chair, the other issue that um, is most pertinent to us is with regards to the deterioration of the provincial road network. And I think it's very pertinent that even before we go to our the plans that we have we have done, we highlight that we had a very important. Um, uh, uh, roads in Daba that we held recently, we came up with pertinent resolutions. And once we have um, worked around those resolutions and uh, be able to enact them, um, uh, uh, we, we, we will come and brief uh, uh, the patrol committee on that. At, at the moment, the process is still at um, uh, Koto and Minmec level, but we just need to highlight that the key issues that are impacting us on this particular on this particular network. One is the over-reliance that we have always reported on the conditional grant and the, the, provinces, the provinces not meeting um, the grant uh, cent for cent and rent for all. And this, this, this discussion will continue, Chair, until um, from the provincial sphere, we see the appetite and effort to also improve on their equitable share and budget for, for maintenance, rehabilitation, rehabilitation and strategic expansion of roads in that regard. The other part is the adherence to grant conditions. And we are oblivious to the fact that um, some of the conditions of the grant are not being adhered to by provinces. And from where we are sitting, we are grant monitors. Um, we, will, we, will, we, will, we will work with provinces. We will also amend the, 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 DORA, the, the DORA conditions to ensure that uh, we improve on the adherence to 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 this to the to this sphere. What, what we've also uh, um, discussed as part of the of the roads in Daba, it's the strengthening of our oversight role as the Department of Transport, as a transferring um, um, department that we 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 empower um, uh, uh, those of us who are doing oversight to ensure that um, at, at at the most um, we hold responsible. Um, uh, the, the, the provinces that are not adhering, and um, and also discussing of the mechanisms that we can take uh, going forward. And 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 I think in the minister's um, in the minister's opening remarks, we also it was also alluded that uh, we need to strengthen project management. But this is another sphere of government. The engagement at this at this particular level will need to be uh, will need to be. Uh, um, 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 a, a very uh, a comprehensive and also to ensure that as we discuss how we strengthen project management, we bring them to a consensus approach so that uh, at the end of the day, our objective uh, remains on, on, on us making sure that the road network, uh, not only at provincial level, also connecting with our, our uh, uh, local government and national uh, um, becomes the priority to improve uh, over the next two and a half years and also beyond the MTSF. Uh, Chair, those are at the core of what we wanted to talk about as challenges that we have faced.
But um, mainly just to close off on the slide, Chair, before we go on to the step plan proper, is to talk about the issue of the economic shock that emanated from the global COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it's resulted lockdowns and the subsequent revision of the fiscal framework of the country. Um, Chairperson, um, it's, 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 we, we, have, we have set, uh, as a sect, um, it will be uh, um, difficult for, for us not to mention it or to overlook, to overlook it as a, as a major impediment on where we are in terms of what we, we wanted to achieve and also um, its impact on what we, where we want to be in the in the in the in the in the in the at the end of this NTSF, it should be noted, Chair, that um, during the pandemic, the sector experienced um, a whole lot of challenges, um, substantial revenue losses, not only uh, by the department, but by the by the by by, by the entities. Um, uh, uh, transport uh, um, operations were halted um, uh, in aviation. Uh, in rail, uh, in general public uh, transport, there were overall delays in planned uh, uh, capital projects and related expenditure. But that that only remains a reportable chair and not an excuse. Um, in terms of our planning going forward, you will realize that um, where we uh, we didn't need to downscale our targets, we did not downscale. Um, irrespective of the fact that there was reprioritization and there was also um, um, a, a number of, of, of cuts uh, in terms of our resources, especially um, that went to, to, to a number of our planned targets. But we will showcase um, how we have moved um, um, in terms of the targets that we've set for ourselves. So I'll move at speed. I'm, I'm not going to touch on, on all of the on all of the on, on all of the slides, chair. I will just move at speed just to to capture on those that we want to reiterate on. Um, chair, on the safety and security, which is our first um, um, uh, uh, focus area, strategic focus area. Our target remains reduction of road fatalities by twenty five percent over the NTSF. We had muted. Uh, downscaling based on the effects of um, of 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 um, of of of, uh, of of COVID nineteen, but with further discussions, we realized that if then we could um, report reductions, albeit um, with reduced um, with reduced traffic uh, traffic during uh, level four and five of COVID, um, we should actually double our efforts to ensure that we meet our original target of reducing. Um, road fatalities by 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 twenty five percent. You will see uh, as we go down that um, we have intensified on a number of uh, in, uh, um, of of our targets that we want to 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 to, to achieve in augmenting uh, this particular one. The new indicators that are coming onto the space um, uh, mainly is to look at um, at uh, the number of driving license cards produced. Um, um, over the last two and uh, um, uh, 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 years, um, you will see that um, we, we we had reported 1,783 cuts. Uh, our target is to go to uh, over nine million cuts by the end of the of the um, of the of the of the NTSF. Uh, but chair, 
In November 2021, I think this is a reportable that we need to state, uh, the DLCA experienced a machine breakdown. And this was mainly due to the flooding of the adjacent building to where they are located. Um, on, on, on the 20th of January 22, when the, D, when, when, when the, 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 the production resumed, the backlog for reduction of driving license cuts um, was 693,000. As at um, 11 April 2022, uh, a total of 628 cuts had been, had, had been produced, leaving the balance of around 11,000 cuts from the baseline backlog recorded in January 2021. And that brought the, the, the accumulated backlog to date to around 593 uh, as at the end of March. Um, the DLCA will, is operating day and night shift to try and address this backlog and also make sure that we, 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 we work on, on our target of achieving the additional 6.5 million cars that we want to, 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 to produce over the remaining two, three years of the, of, of the NTS. And the, the other issue, Chair, is the turnaround time on the issuance of these driving license cards. And this is a new indicator again that comes onto the space. In 2019, this turnaround time was, was, was 42, 42 days. We want to reduce that to 10 to 14 days, uh, Chairperson, um, by, 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 by the end of, um, of, 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 20, of, of 2014. And then and, and, and this, this will, will do um, in, 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 um, in, in partnership with the TLCA. As part of ensuring that we decrease uh, our root fatalities by 25% share, we want to also achieve the number of provinces that will uh, classify traffic policy as a seven day, 24 hour job. And this comes as a new indicator also in our strategy. plan. And Chair, it is important to note that um, the reason why we did not um, downscale um, uh, the, 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 the target of 25% is based on the additional comprehensiveness that we're going to put on some of the targets to, to achieve what we want to achieve. Um, uh, we also need to rationalize our law enforcement um, uh, agencies and also uh, on the basis of uh, our pub public transport. We want to make sure that there's dedicated public transport law enforcement, and this will be expanded more on, on how we want to deal with the issue around scrapping of taxi vehicles, especially on those taxi vehicles that do not uh, meet the criteria for scrapping anymore, but continue to operate, um, to operate um, um, uh, illegally on, 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 on our roads. And on, on the slide chair, we will not touch on it. These were on the original strike plan, just to indicate that on the issue of implementation of the Plaza Integrated Security Plan, our target is to reduce the incidence of personal safety, uh, theft and vandalism of infrastructure in the passenger rail environment by 80%. And there's a new indicator that's augmenting the implementation of the Plaza Integrated Security uh, Plan chair. The other issue that um, we are going to be putting a whole lot of uh, uh, attention on check. It's on the increase in the fatal accident in the general aviation space. Uh, Chair, we need to highlight that um, our target remains 50%. And um, uh, together with SACA, we have developed a, a safety strategy to ensure that um, the safety measures are adhered to by operators in the general aviation space. Uh, to that effect, 
We have started implementing that strategy. It's still at inception stage. What we are discussing with Taka is um, um, uh, how soon can we start seeing the impact of the strategy and um, the reduction in the fatal accident in the space going forward. The good news on the central uh, commercial aviation is that we're still maintaining the zero rate in terms of fatal accident in that in that space. Um, on this particular slide, chair, I'm going to move very quickly. These are standards. The only issue that I'm going to talk to is the implementation of the national uh, uh, strategic plan to end gender-based violence, particularly on the on the transport sector. Initially, in terms of our original spread plan, we were we had limited our our reporting to 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 only two modes: public transport and rail. We have also expanded that to maritime and 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 and, and, and civil aviation. On the maritime side. Um, uh, we have been assured that there are no cases of GBV that have been reported on South African waters. But um, to be proactive, we cannot sit on our laurels. We are going to be proactive and develop um, um, uh, 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 protocols and also um, 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 uh, um, uh, uh, internal controls to ensure that if they are to reach the waters on, on South Africa, we are ready to, to, to deal with those. Um, uh, Chairperson, just on the issue of, of safety and security, particularly with regard to the TRP, um, Chair, you 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 would be you you you'd have seen that um, um, at the start of the MTSF, the target was for us to scrap additional sixty three thousand two hundred and forty one uh, taxi vehicles. Um, over the last two two years, since April twenty nineteen, we have scrapped only five thousand. Um, 121, bringing the total scrap since inception of the program to just over 77,000. Chair, we can now um, um, highlight that from the 63,000 that we had targeted, only, only 10,562 meet the criteria for, for scrapping. Um, and over 40,000 are now not eligible for scrapping as they do not possess a, a, um, a, 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 an operating license. That's meaning that they're operating illegally. We will scrap the remainder chain. Um, as at, as at um, um, uh, December 2021, uh, we were sitting at 11,251, but taking into consideration what has been reported in quarter four, the remainder now has decreased to 10,562. And those that are operating illegally, Chair, we will then uh, uh, talk to, to, to our law enforcement agencies and discussions uh, will be initiated with, with, um, with, uh, with RTMC as to how we can be able to deal with those that are, that, that, that are, that are, that are not operating uh, 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 within the legal prescripts. But Chair, to talk to the 5,121, which is very low in terms of what we had targeted, we have now generated a memorandum uh, to, 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 to induce a cut-off date uh, to be proclaimed to, to, in order to force the taxi operators to, to bring their old taxis for, for scrapping. Um, and this will, will, will then address the, the low uptake of, from operators uh, that has seen this low number that has been submitted um, uh, uh, because of the nature of, of the program that was only... Uh, a demand, uh, a, a, a demand driven. And, as, and I think, Chair, 
um, uh, pertinent to this, it's us um, uh, uh, intensifying our approach, ensuring that we don't continue uh, business as usual and, and to ensure that um, we can be able to move and report that all 10,562 uh, that are remaining to be scrapped. Additional to that as a new indicator, Chair, it's the number of illegally converted panel events that have been prescribed in the public protector report. 1,986 events. We have targeted that into an entirety chair to be scrapped uh, before the, 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 the end of the, of, the, of the MTSF. So it comes in as a new indicator in the space uh, uh, chairperson. Just to move quickly to public transport chair, implementation of the national taxi uh, um, uh, resolutions, uh, the revised public transport subsidy policy. Um, we, 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 we are on the second draft as we speak. Uh, we will be concluding with the, with the final round of stakeholder consultations. And we want to ensure that um, um, we, we, we move at pace to, to, to have it uh, approved and implemented. And uh, all that will also talk to the, to the funding model, public transport funding model that seeks to integrate our taxi industry into the subsidy regime of, of, of government. What comes in as a new indicator chair? over and above um, the indicator that existed of the 60% ownership is to ensure that the framework also um, intrudes the 60% the, the implementation of, of uh, economic value, uh, value chain opportunities. That needs to translate into be uh, bene benefits for the, for the taxi industry. It's a, it's a new indicator that comes onto, onto, the, on, 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 onto the space. Um, and, and, and the others, Chair, the, 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 the standard, or the only two other indicators Chair, that are new onto the state plan are with regard to standardization of business processes for, for provincial regulatory entities and also the capacitation and the operationalization of the national uh, provincial transport, uh, 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 transport uh, regulator to ensure that um, issuing of permits, it's, 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 it's smoothened in this regard and you can be able to address the issues of um, of, of, of illegal operations in that in, in that in that sphere, uh, chair. On the integrated public transport um, as, as sphere, we are currently running on seven cities, and uh, the target is to ensure that we reach uh, ten cities. Uh, ten, uh, members will be will, will be reminded that um, when the, the the program started, we were sitting with three with thirteen cities, uh, three cities: Mbombela, Msunduzi, and Buffalo City were suspended from the program due to inadequate performance. And questions have been asked as to um, what would take for these cities to be reintroduced. Um, Chair, we, we, we have, we, 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 in, the, in the sector, we are going to piggyback on the, on the readmission criteria that we used for the George municipality. And we are going to use that as a standard. And we can use that as a hurdle test uh, to assess the readiness um, for readmittance into the into the into the program. But we need to highlight that the the the, the, the readmission uh, um, um, applications must consider, amongst others, the population growth within those cities, the level of unemployment, the public transport studies, the need for secondary um, uh, city IPTN models, uh, economic growth. Um, we need to also relook at the financial uh, modeling and the affordability assessment um, uh, in that regard. So these are some of the, 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 the readmission uh, criteria that, 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 that we will use. In terms of the passenger rail, uh, um, uh, passenger, uh, weekday passenger trips, 
Chevy, we, we were sitting at 165,000. That figure uh, during COVID then decreased to around 143,000. As in December 2021, that figure then went down to 107,408. Um, our target, as per the original strike plan, was to increase the passenger trip to 365 uh, by the end of the MTSF. We've, we've, we've then uh, downscaled that to 200 passenger trips, taking into consideration, Chair, that the demand for, um, for, for public transport is continually increasing. And uh, if it increases at this rate, then we might surpass our target of, 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 of 200,000. The 200,000 we just put there as our, as our target, uh, feasible target for the remaining two years of the of the uh, of the financial of the of the financial year, the other indicators uh, the, the other indicators shared uh, are standard as they are uh, they were within the the, the initial um, uh, standard plan. But you need to highlight that the with regard to the operating hours, um, we are currently operating between fourteen to sixteen hours. Um, and we need to increase that to about um, to about twenty hours, um, but we are going to be um, to be directed by the demand. If the demand is for 24 hours, uh, especially in line with the three shift economy um, uh, for for the recovery recovery of the of, of, of the economy, we will have to meet that. Uh, not only as BRT operations, but as general um, uh, public transport. So the 20 hours um, it's, it's it's what is feasible within the five years, uh, but depending on demand, we might um, have to move to beyond um, uh, 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 that particular, that, that particular uh, uh, number chair. Um, the, the, the other, uh, I'm going to move to the, to, to the, the, the passenger uh, um, um, rail network. We, we need to, 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 to agree chair, um, that um, the passenger rail trips um, were impacted by the, 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 the challenges that we have uh, with mainly the demand and also with the theft and uh, vandalism of the infrastructure, uh, but we're working um, uh, together with Prasa to ensure that um, we, we 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 recover some of these co corridors. We'll, we'll, we'll talk we'll, we'll talk to that as we look at um, our infrastructure, and also make sure that as we recover and deploy more and more of the of the, of the new trains, and also through um, uh, uh, some of the of, of the of the issues that will be reported later, that we we we, we reach uh, our target at ninety point. Um, 07 million passenger trips that we want to we want to achieve and um, i just want to touch on the on the on the infrastructure chair the the compliance on the user pay principle chair um it's 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 mainly on the on the on the on the on the network on the national network that is impacted by GFIP. and uh, the current in compliance in that space it's at 20 percent and I think once we, we, we can work with National Treasury and conclude on the funding and tariff structure, then we can be able to improve on this compliance and ensure that um, we, we, we equate it to the 100% compliance that we continue to report on the conventional toll plazas that is currently reporting 100% compliance. Um, um, uh, 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 Chair, the, the, the network of Sandal, has, uh, has 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 improved has increased um from um from 22 from 22 22253 uh, and uh, it has gone up to 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 
22,262. Obviously, due to the increase of the network and some of the roads being proclaimed um, into the central network. It should be, it should be highlighted that um, the, 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 the network of Sandal. Um, Sandal wants to increase that network to 25,000 by 2030. And uh, that would be, that would be, uh, um, uh, that is, this is still in line with where we want to, we want to go. And um, the main important one is that based on the current um, uh, resources that Sandal has, they anticipate to keep the overall condition index and maintain it as per the baseline that they reported in 2019, to keep 60% of their roads in good condition, um, uh, uh, 36% in, in, in fair condition, and 4% um, um, and, and in, in, in poor conditions. But with regard to the discussions at the roads in Daba Chair, um, um, the resolutions, if they are implemented, they, they are going to go a long way to ensure that we don't only keep to the overall uh, condition index, um, uh, but we, we, we move towards improving um, uh, the roads in, in poor conditions and in fair, in, in fair conditions. And with regard to the, 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 the provincial roads, as I stated, um, this is one of the major uh, areas uh, of challenges that we have been looking at, Chair, and we will ensure that um, we, we, we report to that. And it's one of the areas, Chair, together with um, a central uh, in the provincial space and also the rail space and also the aviation space where we've got capital expenditure programs to ensure that we optimize job creation in those in those spaces share and i think um, uh, these are the areas where we will also make sure that we make co we, we commit um, uh, uh, in consultations with our with our entities to ensure that we can be able to to move at length um, the, the, the rail corridors that had been earmarked for, for, for rehabilitation, um, 10 priority corridors, and, and these are the corridors where we will be deploying um, the, 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 the new trains. As I said, we are currently reporting 79 uh, trains, train sets, we will in, which, which will increase to, to 85 train sets. And uh, around um, uh, uh, in, in terms of the configuration of new and the old, old, uh, of old train sets, we, we have uh, uh, configured uh, 16 tracenets since the, the, the sixth administration to, uh, to, took, um, took office. And uh, the target is to, 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 to configure additional 174 trains. And within those 10 corridors, uh, we have identified 216 stations that we need to revitalize. What we will strengthen in this, in this um, reporting is to uh, 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 specify the, the, from these 216, how many of them um, will we look at uh, functionality improvements? How many of them will need total rebuilding? And how many of them will have uh, commercialized, commercialization uh, as part of that uh, uh, revitalization in that, in that regard? Um, Chair, we, we have also stated that um, in line with the, with the uh, 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 presidential, uh, presidential uh, program, um, the Gauteng and Western Cape, remains our key focus areas with regard to, to, to modernization and also uh, a signaling improvement. Um, um, we want to complete um, a signaling on the central line and the Mabopane line, and also to finalize a design of resignaling in KwaZulu-Natal uh, in the remaining, in, in the remaining uh, 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 two and a half years. 
and uh, also uh, the number of jobs, um, as I stated, um, from the road space, uh, from the in, in the rail space, and also in the civil aviation space, um, we are going to be recommitting um, uh, together with the with, with our entities who are responsible for these for this, so that we can start reporting them, uh, particularly with a bias towards. Um, uh, 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 women, youth, and persons with disabilities. Another leg that we continue to look at chair is the empowerment in that space to ensure that um, we also report on the number of SMMEs that have been supported in line with uh, implementations of these infrastructure infrastructure programs. Um, uh, towards the end, chair, uh, just to touch base with um, um, uh, the, 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 the issues um, on the maritime sphere, chair. We need to talk to the issue of the corporatization of the of the national project. In June 2021, the president announced uh, the decision to cooperate TNPA um, as an independent subsidiary of the of the Transnet SOC uh, Limited. Uh, following that pronouncement, um, an interim board was then appointed. A memorandum of incorporation was finalized and the establishment of the TNPA as an independent um, subsidiary of Transnet was gazetted in July 2021. And um, to ensure that we meet all the outstanding uh, matters that ensure that we comply to the National Ports Act 100%, um, um, all the requisite statutory and legal requirements needs to be addressed. And uh, to that effect, we have then uh, created a project plan and in consultation with DPE and Transnet, we are continuing to work on the outstanding um, uh, requirements to ensure that um, we close off on this uh, before the, the end of the of the of the of the uh, of the of, of the MTSF. On the issue of the Operation Pakisa Chair, I think it's very important also to highlight that um, this is one of the areas um, where, uh, due to inefficiencies in container freight rail and port services, that tend to raise the cost of South Africa's. Um, imports, and uh, they also make our exports less com competitive. We as the DOT, in consultations with the DPE and Transnet, we are implementing a number of structural reforms, notably in the space share. Um, it's the corporatizations, which uh, we, 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 we see it as an achievement, uh, it's, it's, and, and, and we, 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 it's going to boost um, investor confidence. Um, we have also initiated uh, processes to award more concessions uh, in the ports, um, to partner with the private sector for massive investments in new container port terminals, and to also partner with uh, 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 international terminal operators, uh, mainly to assist um, uh, TPT to improve on its container freight operations. Um, uh, plans are already a full chair uh, to introduce third-party access, mainly on the on the freight uh, on the freight um, uh, rail network, but what have we achieved over the last two years, Chair? It's important to highlight that through the maritime transport initiatives in the Operation Pakisa Oceans Economy um, uh, um, uh, three foot uh, three foot plan, that um, over four thousand five hundred and eighty nine jobs have been created, and um, over nine point two billion investments were secured. Um, in the uh, in the last uh, two and, and, and a half years, and uh, obviously going forward, um, um, working with the Department of Environment, um, uh, Fisheries, and Forestry, we 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 are we are, we 
are concluding on the Oceans Economy Master Plan that will um, increase on, on the footprint that we can leave in this particular, in this particular space. Um, Chair, if I move very quick, uh, uh, quicker on the issue of transformation, obviously um, the transformation, uh, uh, the, the, the issue of the, of, of the ERT bill, um, we, we are lagging behind the RTB is, is still sitting with, 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 with Parliament, and we are anticipating that um, in the next or in the next financial year we'll move towards it being approved by cabinet and towards assentment into law, so that we can move quicker with establishing an oper operationalization op op operationalization uh, of the of the transport economic regulator in this regard, and also working uh, with ad ad address the. The, the, the non-transformation or the slow transformation in the aviation sector and also in the maritime sector in this regard. Very quickly, um, on, the, on, the, on the innovation perspective, um, we are happy to announce that um, the, the, the single integrated uh, ticketing system, um, we, are, we are now starting with the pilot. Uh, the three cities, Polo, Guanimangawung, and Rastebek are ready to roll out. Um, and uh, we have already commenced with the initial stages of this uh, uh, polluting of the automated uh, fair ticketing system using Sandral as a as a as a clearing as as a clearing hub chair and um, on the ARPAS on the ARPA, ARPAS uh, the first batch of ARPAS regulations um, have, have, have have been turned out from the from from uh, from CACOM and they are now being um, um, uh, going to our executive authority for concurrence and uh, we will be moving with the second batch of of of, of, of these regulations to ensure that uh, maybe before the end of this financial year. We can address um, all issues that are impacting on the on the on the um, uh, uh, general aviation in terms of uh, where we are. Chair, uh, on the on the environmental protection, I I, I just want to limit my my my, my, my commentary to to the issue of road freight to rail. Um, the agenda has been addressed through the development of the. Of the of the approved road freight strategy and its, and its implementation plan, and to this regard, chair, a migration plan uh, that we are developing in consultation with DPE and um, and, and 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 Transnet, assess amongst others the infrastructure readiness. Uh, is our infrastructure ready to accept the amount of uh, of, of freight that we want to move from rate, from road to rate? And is the 10% that we have targeted ourselves feasible over the, over the next two years, taking into consideration the readiness of infrastructure? Um, the condition and determination of these commodities is another criteria element, uh, including the quantities that we can be able to move uh, between now and the end of this financial year. Uh, it's also important to highlight uh, that taking these into consideration. Um, we can also report that in 2019, we reported that around 6.1 million tons um, had already been shifted from road to rail. As we're speaking now, Chair, that market share has been lost. Um, we are now, uh, it, has been, it has decreased to 5.3 million tons. Mainly due to the, the effects of, um, of, 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 of COVID. But we have kept the 10% target share. But we are talking to DPE and we are talking to 
the, the, to transmit as to whether the condition of the migration plan in terms of the infrastructure readiness, which, is, which should be at the fore, will then dictate whether the 10% is feasible going forward. So this is, this is a target that we have that we continue to work with with DPE under these difficult conditions, but we remain resolute from a policy perspective that we cannot ignore the need uh, for us to, to remove rail-friendly cargo from the roads of, of, of South Africa um, to address two points. One is to ensure that we, we alleviate the, 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 the carriage of, of, such, um, of such on the roads of South Africa, which were not designed mainly to carry that type of weight. And secondly, to also talk to our implementation of the, of the green transport strategy, which moves at, um, at reducing the emissions um, of transport, which has been identified as one of the four high sectors, four high emission emitting sectors in the country to ensure that um, we, we reduce uh, as per our target of, 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 of 25%. Chair, the last uh, part of our presentation will talk to the the on, on performance information. We'll talk to the the the, the governance indicators, and I'll, I'm I'm just going to touch on 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 three of those for the benefit of the of the of the of the of, of the committee. The vacancy rate of the department is impacted on by a number of issues. One, it's filling of positions that are vacant, addressing the issues of um, retirements um, and transfer out of the of the department. In this current financial year, we've moved at pace to fill 61 vacant positions, mainly at um, SMS level and also including uh, DDGs and, and chief directors. Um, some of these uh, appointments were on the basis of internal promotions. And we've also recorded a number of um, uh, transfers into the department, but the negative uh, movements also out of the department, retirements, and also on the, the, the colleagues who, uh, who uh, became deceased and also created um, uh, these. Currently, we are sitting at 24.7%. Uh, and this is based on the establishment uh, that includes both funded and unfunded positions. Um, in terms of unfunded, uh, on the funded positions only, our, vacant, uh, our vacancy rate sits at 16.2. Uh, however, we base our vacancy rate on the whole establishment that entails both the funded and unfunded so that we can work around um, uh, uh, making sure that we prioritize uh, what should remain in the, in the, in the, in the establishment and maybe review our structure to ensure that we keep only those that we need in the structure. And our target of decreasing that to 10% and below remains our target within this particular MTSF. And we will continue to move at pace to ensure that uh, we, we, we do that. And mainly to touch on the main, the main issues um, as, as we conclude on performance information, Chair, I just want to touch on the fruitless and wasteful expenditure and also touch on irregular expenditure and unauthorized expenditure, Chair. On the issue of wasteful and fruitless expenditure, as at March um, 2019, Chair, we were sitting on 58 cases of 
fruitless and wasteful expenditure. And um, they, 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 they amounted to a combined 151,000 rents. By December 2021, only 47 cases remained in the, in the, in the, in the register and they amounted to 68,561,000 checks. Um, it is also important to highlight Chair, that um, currently um, we, are, we had about nine uh, new cases that were reported in the 2020-21 financial year. And out of those nine Chair, uh, we have about we had about one um, that was um, that was um, that was uh, uh, transferred to debt, and about uh, eight um, that has been uh, 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 eight that, that has been uh, transferred to debt, and one that has been written off. Chair, um, uh, uh, most of these uh, of these um, of these new cases, chair, are as a result of of um, of no shows that. Um, uh, aligned to travel. Uh, what we are doing in this regard is to strengthen our internal controls to ensure that where, where transgressions are as a result of negligence by internal um, in, in our officials, then uh, consequence management is then effected. In this case, we can, we can safely say that about eight of them that has been transferred to death, to death uh, as a result of that uh, particular consequence management uh, uh, space. With regard to irregular expenditure, um, uh, we have not reported uh, irregular expenditure in the current financial year, uh, but just to highlight that there are uh, eight cases that are currently under assessment um, through our internal control division and um, in consultations with, our, with an internal audit and at the end of this financial year, and then also taking consideration the audit that's upcoming, we'll be able to confirm as to whether there is a potency to any one of them uh, uh, coming onto the register. But um, as, as, as at where we, we are now, uh, they are still under, under, under assessment. Uh, in terms of unauthorized expenditure, uh, to date um, in this current financial year, we have not um, reported any case of of, of, um, of, of um, of 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 um, of, of, of uh, unauthorized expenditure. Also, as my last point before we introduce uh, through you, Chair, the CFO to talk through the budget is just to highlight that on all the governance indicators, they are in the minister's deliver agreement. We take them um, very seriously as the sector. All uh, all uh, our entities are reporting on them on a biannual basis, and as a result, we are building on uh, so that the, the portfolio can report. Uh, an, an, an unqualified audit report on uh, 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 with no material findings, um, and, and, and it's not only limited to the Department of Transport, but is extended to the whole portfolio. And um, with analysis, we'll be able to see how far we can go in this financial year, and also address the deficiencies in in in, in specific um, entities where we we feel that we need to in, to intervene through our entity oversight um, strengthened entity oversight approach chair uh, uh, through your indulgence um, if you can allow me chair to to just move quickly to the slides of the of of, of the of the of the CFO uh, so that you can just go through the the the, the budget and, and the other parts of the APP and the consolidated indicators that track our our 
our our our uh, performance that we track from the from the um, from from the entities and from the programs uh, are also in the in the in the presentation, and we are we are going to consider them as red so that we can just present at a high level uh, what we have changed in the strat plan and what we'll be looking at uh, in in the APP going forward. Thank you, Chair. Uh, through you, um, um, uh, I can then hand over to the to the CFO. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, uh, like your name, uh, they call you Bosa or Busa or Boza. Uh, it's Bosa Bosi, Chair. So my, I, I just uh, reserved my name is Bosa, and the other uh, part of Bosi is reserved by somebody else. Thank you. Chair. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, the CFO. And that there, Ramanzi has taken almost everything. I wish you to bring back the reins to me at 25 past at the latest, so that we can engage with this presentation. Otherwise, it will be useless to have a presentation without engagement. Uh, over to you. Uh, greetings, uh, uh, greetings, Chairperson and the members of the the Portfolio Committee. I'll just switch on the camera for the introduction, and then I will switch off the camera so that I can continue with the presentation to not to affect the bandwidth. And greetings again to the Honourable Minister and Deputy Minister Chairperson and Honourable members of both uh, committees. Uh, the first slide, Chairperson, if you look at it there, you can see that uh, it shows that our budget uh, is 69.1 billion uh, for the new year of 2022-2023. With a breakdown there of the particular branches, I'll not go through them, but I want to go to the slide with the economic classification. Next slide, please. Where you can see that the 98 of our budget goes to the provinces where you see that the, the economic line called transfers and subsidies is 67 billion, which uh, translate into 98% of the budget. Therefore, only about uh, 2% remains in the department, which is for compensation of employees. And then also as for the goods and services. I, I think as my colleague was presenting the APP, you could see that a lot of work of the department is done through our provinces and our entities. Hence, the focus to make sure that uh, that information is translated and reported centrally at the, at, at, for the sector in the department. So therefore, you can see that uh, we, a lot of M&E effort is put on what is being transferred to our provinces as well as our entities. Next slide is talking to that in the over the medium term, the department will focus on intensifying its effort to improve mobility and access to social and economic activities by cultivating an enabling environment for the maintenance of the national, the provincial road networks, and the improvement and integration of the road-based public transport services and the modernization of the passenger rail infrastructure and the improving of those services. 
Our expenditure is expected to increase at an annual rate of 7.7% from 65.4 billion to 81.7 billion in the year 2024-25. This is mainly allocated to transfers and subsidies and to other spheres of government and the departmental entities, which account for 98% of its planned expenditure over the medium term budget. If I could proceed to the next slide, where we talk about the compensation of employees, this one has remained stagnant over the medium term with an annual increase of only 0.8% or almost 1% from 542 to uh, triple five in the year 2024 and 2025. We have also an amount of 11.2 million, which has been allocated in the financial year to augment the shortfall arising from salary adjustment as part of the public sector wage agreement and settlement. The spending on goods and services is expected to increase at an average rate of 11.4% from 8.51 million in 2021-22, and, and this will increase, uh, especially for the funding of the mar maritime pollution prevention for the tugboats via a triple PP uh, pro procurement uh, process, which is assisted by the National Treasury, uh, where we'll have a unitary by the 23-24 financial year, which will be utilized to cover the shortfall that will allow for the viability of the proposed public-private partnership that will see the acquisition of new tugboats in monitoring of our ocean spaces in the western and eastern and in the southern uh, uh, places of our country, coastline. The next slide, Chairperson, is just a graphical highlight of the compensation of employees showing that uh, it's almost remained stagnant, stagnant, especially in the final two, uh, two, two, two years of the MTSF. On the next slide is talking to our goods and services, just to highlight some of our main cost drivers in our goods and services budget in the next slide, please, where you can see that uh, we have got the first item there, watch keeping services. You've got your oil pollution prevention services. You have got the SACA accident and incident. Those are uh, some of the main cost drivers. And we have got also in the public transport space, the taxi scraping administration, the grant monitoring, the NLTIS, and the implementation of the Shovak Alula. Those are some of the few cost drivers that we want to highlight to the committees. Then we've got also the next slide, as indicated, shows you our transfers to the various uh, sectors, starting with the provincial road maintenance, going down with public transport operation grant, public transport network grant, rural road asset management grant. Yeah, just to mention some few of them, then you'll see the allocation to Prasa, to Sandral, and other public entities, uh, how much they get per the medium term period per chairperson. In the public transport, you've got the allocation for, for, for Prasa, 
for PTNG and PTOG, and those are the graphical view of all the uh, transfers that we are doing in the medium term period chairperson. Just to touch base, my colleague touched a lot on these particular issues. I will not uh, go into the next slide, uh, please. Next slide. We have done with we, we have done the issue of Prasa and the PTNG. Next slide, where we talk about uh, just a, a little bit narrative on the public transport transfers, where we have realized that the passenger rail network has been seen a rapid deterioration in the previous years, as part of recognizing that the recovery is key to providing affordable, safe, and reliable public transport services transfers to in the rail uh, transport program account to an estimated uh, amount of 27.1%, which is 62.7 billion of the department budget over the medium term. This fund will be used to focus on repairs, maintenance as part of the agency's rolling stock fleet renewal program and improve security. As a result, capital transfers to the agency are expected to increase at an average rate of 11.5% from 9.7 billion to 13.5 billion in the year 24-25. The operational transfers are expected to increase by more than an average of 4.3% from 6.9 billion to 7.9 billion in the year 2024-2025. The transfers to the public transport network grant is said to increase at an annual average of 14.3% from 5.2 billion to 7.7 billion in the outer year. The, the public transport operating grant, which subsidizes bus services in provinces, is increasing from 7.1 billion to 7.7 billion at an annual rate of 2.8%. Then if we go to the next slide, it's highlighting the allocation to Sandra and the provincial route maintenance grant. You can see the allocation of the, of the provinces as well as our entity. Uh, if we go to the next slide, just a brief summary on this allocation is that the, the road maintenance backlog has grown over the years, partly due to the shifting of funds from non-toll routes to more economically viable toll roads. To support the national road backlog network of 76.4 billion, this goes to South African National Road Agency. And then we've got also a 116.1 billion over the medium term, which is allocated to the road transport program to construct, upgrade, and maintain the national and provincial road network. Over the MTF, period, 5.9% uh, of 45.3 billion of the allocation to the Sunrall is allocated to maintain the national non-toll road network and 2.8 billion is allocated for the route 573, the Moloto Road Development Corridor and 3.7 billion to the N2 Wild Coast Project and the 2.1 billion is allocated to fund reduced theory for the GFI project. Transfer to the agency account to 
33.5% of the departmental budget over the EMTF period and 65.5% of the budget of the road transport program. And then an uh, amount of 37.4 billion over the MTF period is allocated to the PRMG uh, for the provinces are expected to use the grant to rehabilitate 8277 lane of kilometers, receive 11217 lane kilometers, regravel 16605 kilometers, and the black top patch of 5.4 million square meters. Factors such as condition of roads, weather patterns, and traffic volume grant allocation for the maintenance of the provincial road chairperson. Now the following slide, with your indulgence, I'll take them as read. They give us a breakdown of the allocations to our provinces. Uh, next slide. It is, is for the public transport operating grant is for the municipalities as indicated. You can see allocation of all the mass municipalities. And lastly, the public transport network grant, also the allocation per city that are participating in this particular program. And that gives us uh, the budget allocation to our entities, the provinces, and the municipalities through our transfers and subsidies. Thank you, Chairperson. That is the budget allocation for the department. Is, is my co-chair still on the platform? Ramazwani? Uh, I'm going to Looks like uh, uh, the chair is more good. Yeah, the floor is your chair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, chair. Um, that was quite a marathon kind of a presentation. Um, let me check if we still have people in the room here uh, noting the question that was asked before. I'm sure uh, the department still has it. That one relate that that one that related to the manufacturing of new driver's licenses from uh, honorable team. I'm sure we'll get a response from that. I have two hands uh, at the moment. Maybe I should start uh, first by what the uh, honorable member wants me to say. Um, she says um, I should ask this question that uh, you said you are on track in restoring the line from Langa to Belleville. 
and longer to fill it. Can you give us time frames, uh, please, and also share with the portfolio committee, uh, and um, of course, um, because this is a share joint meeting, uh, recommendation that you have made to the cabinet regarding this matter. The second question from Honorable Nolichung is, CBRTA board term expired in 2019. RTMC and AXA board terms expired also. Why is it that after almost three years, new board members have not been appointed? The third one is the 75 new trains that you spoke of, will they accommodate level, level boarding for wheelchair users? And the last one is, there has been reports in the media alleging that the continued extension of the PARCO subsidized service by the Houghton Department of Roads and Transport was illegal. Is it true? If not, please give us the correct version. That was Menoluchungu um, Nontando. Uh, I'm sure I've asked, let me see here, you mentioned that the pilot for the integrated taxi system is being implemented. Where is this implemented? In which modes of transport? I hope that was the last from Menoli uh, Chungu. And uh, let's take other honorable members. Um, Honorable Makosini, Honorable uh, um, MD, Honorable Chris Unsinger, Honorable Tim, and uh, Honorable Peter Mayer, and uh, lastly, Chair, you'll be uh, the banana sweeper of this uh, session. Thank you. In that order, please. Baba Makosini, followed by Honorable McDi, followed by uh, Honorable Tim, followed by Honorable Hun Singer, and, and then uh, the co-chair will be the last. In that order, please. Okay, Honorable Makosini may be having problems. Honorable McDonald? Um, thank you, Chairperson. Um, good morning, Mangete. Good morning, Honourable Members, Department of Transport, Ministers, Deputy Minister. Um, Chairperson, I'm not going to put my video on where I am. I don't have a stable signal. So I will just, um, I'm going to leave it off. So, Chairperson, on the issue of Praza, just the, there's no indication on the Peter Maritzburg to Durban Praza rail line. Um, um, I would like some more clarity on that because the congestion on the roads between Peter Maritzburg and Durban is so severe in the mornings and the afternoons. And this was, <laughs> we need to get these trains up and running. I mean, honestly. Then, you know, Chairperson, we, we, we keep on. Chairperson, uh, should, I, should I 
wait and or should I wait for Honorable Marcus? You need to stop finish. No, let, let, let me proceed, please. Uh, because I'm having a problem. Okay. Can, can you allow me to proceed? Because I'm having a problem with regard to networking. Okay, proceed, proceed. Sorry, uh, Honorable McDonald. Thank you Sorry. very much. Uh, Chairperson. I've got a lot of questions, but I'll reserve others for other members. In terms of your plan, you said you have employed about 2,000 permanent security guards at all stations, only to find that you have just insourced the marshals. Uh, how are you, uh, ju just to have insourced the marshals, how far are you with the employment of security guards? Because this is itself is a job creation. Two, most of the station, especially at the locations were vandalized and dysfunctional because of cable thefts and negligence. Are all stations functional as I speak? Three, the road fatalities you really follow the money you have allocated to provinces? You have alluded to the fact that 98% of your budget goes to uh, the provinces. I'm saying this because we are recently from oversight in Northwest, Pumalanga, and Natal. What we have seen there is a shame, if not as a disaster. What do you do to keep this maladministration? Why don't we take people to custody instead of suspending and withdrawing money for the project that have uh, collapsed? For the reduction of fatal accidents by 50%, you not attribute this to COVID-19 because motorists were not allowed to move from one province to another. At, and one, at one stage, people were not allowed even to drink. Thank you, Chairperson. Those are my questions. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Mwane. Thank you very much. Uh, let's proceed, Honorable Mabdi. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Um, Thank you, Chairperson. Let me start from the beginning. Um, on the Praza line between Peter Maritzburg and Durban, it's a critical line for the decongestion of traffic uh, in that area. Um, I see that there's no plans on, on this APP to get that line up and running, uh, Chairperson. Um, also, with the current states of the roads in KwaZulu-Natal, it would be, it's, it's, it's very important that we get the vehicles off the, the roads and get um, um, the mass mover, the, the trains back on track so that we can um, accommodate the poorest of the poor. Chairperson, you know, every presentation we get from the department, um, there's um, some sort of innuendo that the trains and the, the infrastructure of Praza was, the cause was COVID. Chairperson, we have to be honest here, and we have to, you know, honesty is, 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 is a very good policy. Chairperson, the reason why the stations and the infrastructure of Praza was looted and destroyed was the 
removal of the security guards and the department and process inability to to get security onto the stations and the platforms and the infrastructure of Praza. It's got nothing to do with COVID. Yes, COVID gave an opportunity to people to take the things, but it's because of a lack of security on the stations and the, and the infrastructure of Praza that we are in the trouble that we are today. Going to the roads, the, the provincial roads, Chairperson, we've just been on oversight and we've crossed a couple of provinces. It's unbelievable how the roads are deteriorating. And the, having a talk shop and a minmec to, dis, to discuss this, to wait on some months from now, by the time that there's a decision, there's going to be nothing left of the roads and no roads for South Africans to travel on. And that means no growth in the economy, no growth in, in rural sectors, no business in rural sectors, and a loss of thousands of people's jobs. Chairperson, uh, the, the problem must take us seriously for a change. They must take the people of South Africa seriously, Chairperson. We can't continue this to having talk shops about problems that we have. Nobody can even drive on certain roads anymore. It's a problem. There's just been, uh, on Sunrise Road, on the N2, there's been three accidents because they put up barriers where the road is, uh, destroyed, part of it's been destroyed on, um, um, on the N2. But they never put signs on to reduce the speed of the traffic. There's been fatal accidents on that road. Coming back to the, to the license machine, Chairperson, we were there on oversight. We were told on oversight in 2019 that the machine is about to break. There's no more ink for this machine. It's on its last legs. Now the department's telling us that it was a flooding situation next to us. So either, either. The department is lying, or the people that, that that runs the machine is lying. But somebody is lying to somebody, yeah. and I, I would like to have an answer on that. On the single ticketing system that they want to roll out in Mangaung and Rustenburg, secret ticketing system for what? There's no buses running there. That IPTN is not even close to running. Those things are so far from running; it's it's unbelievable. We just came from Rustenburg. There's no, there's, there's one station completed. They they are not. The, the depot is not completed. Nothing is running there. In Bloemfontein, the roads have not been finished. The, the, the buses are not running. Chairperson, uh, I, I mean, take us seriously for a change, please. Thank you through you, Chairperson. That's my questions and my comments. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Lawrence McDonald, Honorable Tim Brayton. What is the right uh, surname? I want to pronounce it properly. Thank, thank you, Chair, for your consideration. It's Browtasset. Browtasset. That's correct. Thanks, thanks, and Honorable Browtasset. Carry on. It's a, it's a difficult Norwegian name. <laughs> wow, well, um, no, but I've got it. Yeah, thank you very much, Chair. Um, Chair, yeah, just to reiterate what I was asking earlier and then just one other question, if I may. Okay, yes. so to, to break it up into simple pieces um, for, for, for the officials to respond. The current license card, question number one, what is wrong with the format of that card? Does it have flaws? Is it easy to duplicate? Um, does it have security issues? And what, why, why do we need to change the format of that card? That's question number one. Question number two, when that card 
when Honorable Browdershed goes to a licensing department and hands in his eye test, does his fingerprints, hands in his proof of address, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that is all then captured onto a software package and then gets sent for printing. At the point before it goes for printing, why can that not be produced digitally and uploaded onto a simple app Mm-hmm. which people can download on their phones and have the digital license on their phones. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why that, is, why that is a problem. It doesn't take long. Youngsters develop apps in a in matter of weeks. But uh, we are now being told. So the context of this chair is we're being told that the new license card, which we're not clear on why there has to be a new license card, a new format, is only going to be ready in 2025. Um, we we were also informed that cabinet hasn't signed off on it yet, unless that's changed in the past few weeks since we last met with uh, with that entity. And then the digitization, the, the the license card on your phone will only become a reality in 2025 or 2024. And the, so the question is, why on earth is that taking so long? But if we go back to the first question, why is there a need for a change? And that's what we'd like to have clarification on. The second question, Chair, relates to, and I know this is difficult for the department because the the floods have caused a major disruption, but I have to represent my province as I'm in the National Council of Provinces. What money has been set aside to assist the Etigreening Municipality and others in KZN and the Provincial Department of Transport to getting roads fixed as soon as possible the, in, in, in the KZN region. <clears throat> Reason being, Chairs, we're not just talking about roads that are an inconvenience. We are talking about roads that are main tributaries to areas that have literally cut off areas. There are areas now that literally cannot do the most mundane thing of going to the shop and getting supplies. Uh, they have to climb through ravines and use ladders and that sort of thing. So I'd just like to know what what amount or budget of the department is an emergency amount is going to be set aside and what technical skills, et cetera, et cetera, are being uh, given to provincial and municipalities to help them overcome this really pressing challenge right now. Thank you. Honourable uh, Breda said. Uh, Honourable um, Chris Unsinga, very good afternoon, sir. Please. Good afternoon, Chairperson. Um, Chairperson, I've got uh, five questions. Um, firstly, just on a issue of clarity, um, I've written down a couple of words which um, the presenter seems to be very fond of. And these were um, that a particular issue would be expanded on more. Um, a particular issue would be extended on comprehensively. Uh, other issues would be intensified by efforts. And then uh, to cover it all, you know, he talks of uh, optimized focus. Now, I don't think it's fair to mention this without giving detail, because this is what this portfolio committee is all about. The more detail we get on these more and comprehensiveness and efforts and focuses, uh, the better we are equipped then to deal with these. And I would submit that it's been rather vague on detail. And let me give you some examples. Um, 
just uh, one in terms of accuracy. Slide 54. Um, is it possible to get that slide, uh, Chairperson? Chairperson, are you there? <coughs> 54. Uh, uh, 50, um, the, the slide number was slightly covered um, by a um, by a copy and paste. Could it be thirty four? There we go, that one. Yes, thank you very much. Chairperson, in the third column, you will notice that uh, the baseline indicated for March 2019 indicates a total network in 2019 of 25,253 kilometers, whereas uh, the baseline for a December 2021 is less, 22,262. If I just can get that explained, that would be interesting why there's a loss of network um, indicated here in terms of distance. Um, my third point, Chairperson, is one on rail safety. Um, what is the current situation on uh, insurance, short-term insurance, which covers um, the liability of um, losing uh, railway assets? Do we have insurance at this stage? And why isn't this a key performance indicator in terms of attaining and regaining insurance, since this is a core component of assuring our commuters um, of safety? Um, in a presentation or two before, a chairperson, we were told that there is a major issue with storage facilities for new trains. Um, and I would have seen, I would have liked to see this also as a key performance indicator so that at least we have the assurance that trains um, are, um, uh, have facilities for storage. My last point, Chairperson, is on the BRT. Um, I was rather disappointed to hear that um, the recovery plan for the municipalities of Mbombela, uh, Mzinduzi, and Buffalo City that have been suspended. Um, that it's modeled on um, an indication of what the population is, an indication of how many potential passenger trips there would be. These are figures and numbers which you can get from Wikipedia. Chairperson, uh, the failure of these three municipalities, and I would have added Rustenburg, but the failure of these three municipalities is that they have spent billions and there's nothing to show. In other words, the contingency there is and should be around management improvement and how they address the particular debility that led to the suspension. So therefore, I'm rather disappointed to hear what the recovery plan criteria is um, uh, and that the indicators are rather um, diverted from what it should be. Thank you, Chairperson. <clears throat> Ngozi kakhulu mhlobo wami ngozi kakhulu 
Um, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Onsinga. Um, I want to give to the chair, co-chair, to also ask some questions. Uh, Honorable uh, Chair. Thank, thank you, thank, thank you, uh, Honorable uh, Chairperson. Uh, for giving me the opportunity. Let me also welcome the presentation from the, the APDG and the team. To chair, my uh, question uh, is linked to the, the, uh, the concern that has been raised uh, by a uh, few other members on the on the uh, on the rural roads in provinces and municipalities, uh, particularly their status. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but, but, but more than that, more than that, uh, this question is is prompted by by the fact that uh, uh, all these three years of government are a creature of statute, uh, and. Uh, that uh, uh, the constitution spells out the the uh, responsibilities of national department of transport in relation to in relation to uh, the concurrency uh, uh, together with the with, with, with the with, with the province uh, which is both i think uh, should have 5a and 5 and for A, but, but more than that, local government also has a has a particular role to play with regard to transport in relation to to four B, uh, and uh, considering considering this uh, a difference uh, different functions uh, as uh, a given to the to these three spheres. I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned about the, the efficiency and the effectiveness of uh, coordination uh, from no. the uh, from the department side, particularly with regard to the implementation of of its of its responsibilities, which is mainly centered around uh, setting the scene in terms of policy parameters. And uh, I'm raising this point, particularly given the, the, the concerns that have been raised. Uh, oh, okay. What, to what extent can the department, national department, intervene without necessarily usurping uh, the functions that necessarily belongs to it uh, which squarely falls within the, the scope of the provincial uh, uh, department of transport and the uh, local government's transport uh, ambit, uh, so that we are then able to ensure that uh, uh, we, we, we effectively uh, intervene where it is necessary. Uh, I'll, I'll set an example. Uh, R31 uh, in Northern Cape. Uh, from 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 Puruman uh, to Timbre, uh, which uh, is an important 
uh, road in terms of uh, uh, the slowness uh, around uh, the program of from from, from road rail because uh, that road specifically deals with uh, it's always uh, congested with trucks transporting manganese from uh, from the from the Kalari manganese basin to to to, to PE and also to Saldana. Uh, and therefore, for the last two two years, two years, uh, it has been a crisis. But with the last two, two to three weeks, the situation became worse uh, to the extent that uh, uh, those trucks had and transport had to be diverted. Uh, Hence, the question is uh, the efficiency and effectiveness of the coordination structures that we have at the level of the MEC, uh, 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 I mean, uh, uh, the MINMEC. Uh, but more than that, uh, uh, the room that the department has, particularly with regard to forging ahead with the, with the, uh, the rural routes, uh, we have seen, you made reference to Morocco, we have, we have made reference to Wild Coast, but I think the situation is is is, is, is dire across many many provinces. Uh, how effective and efficient uh, within the ambit of uh, the, the 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 powers and functions of this three years can the department be able to intervene? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Co-Chair. I am left with eight minutes on the dot. Um, I do not think that um, the department will be able to answer questions on five minutes or so. Am I allowed by the joint committee to request the, the department instead to re respond in this uh, on these questions in writing um, in seven days? Is that possible? Uh, at, uh, acting director general. Uh, thank you, thank you, Chair. Um, it is quite possible, Chair, that we we can respond within seven days uh, back to the committee on the questions that have been asked, and it also affords us an opportunity because they are also very typical questions that requires us to align with the implementing agencies, especially when it comes to CASA, so that we can be able to provide a fully researched and accurate information to the members of, uh, of these committees. So we will really appreciate that opportunity. Thank you very much. Uh, Valerie, am I correct that we're scheduled up until one o'clock today? Um, that's correct, Chairperson. Okay. Honorable members, I think um, 
Unfortunately, we wouldn't have an opportunity where we will interact live, live with the responses from the department. Nevertheless, we should be able to get responses trickling in from next week. Um, it means uh, a week after next week, we should be able to raise an issue if members have not got um, responses in writing. Um, let me hear closing remarks from the, the, the co-chair before I give my own closing remarks. Two minutes closing remarks, Chair, if you have. No, 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 Chair. I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, because I did uh, the open remarks, so I'm happy to allow my co-chair to give the closing remarks. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, um, we are building a solid um, work in relationship between the two committees of which is highly appreciated. Let me take this opportunity and really thank uh, all the members from both committees for their productive participation and manner in which they post questions. I wish that we should uh, follow up on the questions that were raised. Um, I would still also want to hear from my side, for an example, why in this day and age are we not gra gravitating towards a license that can be actually digitalized as Honorable uh, uh, Braithersand has actually said. We have heard the bad state of roads, especially rural roads. Uh, I don't want to be provincialized as the chair, but there are provinces that are bad. And I'm sure as you consider uh, your allocation, uh, let's, let's not take time. Uh, Honorable McDee has raised the point really that as much as we are encouraged by the meetings that had said MinMEG um, meetings, we want action because that's what is demanded from the ground. Otherwise, there will be no roads, there will be no economy. And if there are no roads, there are no economy, why should we be inexistent? Um, so I think let's get those uh, detailed responses in seven days, otherwise from my side, Thank you very much for participating uh, in this meeting and until we meet again. And thank you very much, Chair, on your side for uh, assisting to chair this meeting. It was really a smooth process and we look forward to collaborating on issues of mutual interest and uh, in the benefit of the people of South Africa. Thank you very much. This meeting is officially closed. Thank you. Long live the chair. Long live. Long live the <laughs> recording stopped. <laughs> long live. Long live the chairperson. Thank you very much. Thank you. Long live, uh, Minister. 
Uh, <laughs> Deputy Minister, long live. Long live. <laughs>